Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a special treat. Uh, it's an especially favorite. It's a special favorite of mine. It is the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training from 1977, which I will warn you ahead of time may indeed be the movie that I've seen more than any other movie in the history of movies. So I'm really going to nerd out on this one. This is one of the rare times where we're putting a sequel on staff picks, and you'll hear why in a minute. Um, And my guest for this one, you may remember him if you are a staff picks historian. He did my Bad News Bears episode, and uh, it was a very racy perhaps episode a lot of people wrote back well they said wow that one was kind of out of control and i'm like you know what let's bring him back (laughs) so um, once again he was here for bad news bears now he's back for the bad news bears sequel welcome back to the show pop culture expert all around troublemaker dan fields awesome thanks for having me mario i love this movie so much i probably with you i think i've seen this movie more than any other movie more than star wars planet of the apes more than the first bad news bears it's it's a special thing in my heart. Can't wait. Can't wait to talk about this. Yeah, you know what's funny is I don't think either one of us would agree that th- this movie is all that good. We just love it. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Um, there's lots of plot holes that make zero sense. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that. But all in all, it's it's not a good movie. But I love it. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to Staff Picks, where we recommend you see a movie that is not good. <laughs> but you'll love it. <laughs> you will. There's plenty of... Sorry, there's plenty of bad movies that are really good. Um, so this is one of them. This movie has an inexplicable charm, and we're going to dive into that. And I'm already laughing about where some of this conversation is going to go, because you might be, Dan, the person who's seen this movie more than I have. I know that. That I take that as a compliment, but um, I hope hopefully you have seen it more than I have. I just hope everyone's seen this movie a million times. They should. <laughs> Now, Dan is a little different class of fan than I am. Like, I have just seen this movie. It was on, like, an endless loop in our house as a kid. We had an old VHS tape. It would just be on and on and on in the background where, like, I know every oblique little background quote. I can quote little background dialogue from this movie. But you may top me because you've been to all, like, the filming locations and stuff, right? Oh, just a couple finally this summer. And I'm still mad that you haven't gone since you live way closer than I do. But, yeah, I did drag my family down there this summer um of course i had to take them to brady bunch stuff and whatnot but uh went to the uh, original bad news bears field um went to coach lester eastland's house and also uh the looper's house that is seen in this movie so i was i I was pretty pretty excited to see that stuff um stopping out in front of uh, coach eastland's house the people that were driving by or living across the street gave us extremely weird looks for us stopping and taking pictures waving in front of this random house but uh yeah i dragged my family there <laughs> see this is what i love that name lester eastland will mean nothing to 90 percent of the people who are listening to this podcast but shame I'm, i know i'm so jealous because you've been there that's like going to paris for me so like <laughs> this is the difference between dan and me and your average person 
I have been to Paris, and I've been to Coach Lester Eastland's house, and they're both marvelous. <laughs> so to give people a little back history, I'm, I'm not anticipating that everyone who is listening to this has seen this movie. The Bad News Bears came out in 1976, right? Correct. Yes. And huge hit. One of the biggest hits of the year, the surprise hit for Paramount Pictures. And they're like, well, we better throw together a sequel as quick as possible because these kids are going to get old and start looking awkward. Well, you, you saw the I, – I don't know if you've seen the, the picture that's swarming around the internet. I mean, everyone's seen it, I'm sure. It's a movie uh, billboard, display billboard for during that time frame, and it was Star Wars – Bad News Bears, and I want to say it was like a Charlie Brown movie or something, but it was Star Wars Bad News Bears at this place. I mean, boom, everyone was there. Yeah, and I have personally said the Bad News Bears is probably my favorite movie of all time. I know it's got to be real high on yours, right? Yeah, it's it's up there, but again, we've probably discussed it when we did the Bad News Bears versus this one. I mean, it's a tough movie. It's not really a comedy. It's a it's a, De- it's a Debbie Downer flick where this is a lot more lighthearted. Yeah, this one is definitely more of a kid's movie. And I didn't really read up on the box office. Was this movie a hit? I know it wasn't as big as the first one, but this one had to be a fairly big hit, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a mega hit. I was actually looking at some of the receptions earlier, and um, there was some, some positives and some negatives. I saw Gene Siskel gave it a two and a half out of four. So it was an enjoyable film for him, but it tried too hard. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think it wound up making 19 million. I think I saw, which which I'm surprised it made that much. So good for them. I just love that there's legitimate criticism and legitimate movie critics talking about this movie. I love that that was part of their job. <laughs> yeah, it's good for them. That's what it should be. So, yeah, they threw together this movie, and it is a weird-ass movie. I have a little phrase I wrote in my notes here. This might be the most 1970s movie ever made. Where where do you come up with that? I'm I'm intrigued to listen. Fred, I think if I recall once, Bill Simmons on uh, Grantland and The Ringer and stuff, he was a big fan of this movie, and I know back in the early 2000s, he wrote a big thing talking, calling this one of the best sports movies of all time, and also the most 1970s movie of all time. I think that's where I stole that from. Okay. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You got the, the cool van, you got the Astrodome. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's total 70s. Kids drinking, smoking, stealing cars. And the, And the other thing about this movie that I love is that it doesn't seem to take place in the same universe that I live in. And that's why I love it because it's so weird. Like it's the first movie was very much a study of what little leagues look like in America in the seventies. And this one is not really based on that same principle. So like, do you get the same sense when you watch this? It's almost like a weird fantasy universe. I think that's right. I mean, the first one it was, it was like cruddy little league and being a cruddy coach and all that. And this one, you know, you only see the parents at the beginning of the movie and it's just like, they're on, they're off. And yeah, there's no way I, I grew up with anything like this. I was more, I was born in 73, so more of an 80s kid. So, but I was still, you know, been around long enough where, you know, we could get away with, you know, shooting each other with BB guns and stuff like that, but, or sit on your dad's lap driving down the freeway. But um, yeah, just driving with 15 of your friends cross country, that's not going to happen. So, okay, so the premise of this movie is the Bad News Bears was a big critical and financial success, and they're like, okay, we're going to throw together the quickest sequel as we can, and we're going to try to make some story where these kids get to play in the Houston Astrodome, which seems silly now, but you will back me up. At the time, the Astrodome was like a big deal. You could base a movie around that. Oh, this is before the – well, this was before the Kingdome was built, so 
this was yeah this was like the eighth wonder of the world the king uh, the excuse me the astrodome eighth wonder of the world so it was a, a big deal um I read it had only been shown in a movie once prior to this, so it, yeah, it was a big ordeal. <laughs> it's, it's like the Prophet Muhammad. You can't look directly at the astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be blind. Yeah. Yeah. I should point out for our fans who are or listeners who are baseball fans, I love the Mariners, Seattle Mariners. Dan hates the Mariners. <laughs> so the minute he mentions the Kingdom, I know he's setting me up for he's going to kill me later in the episode. So it's been noted, Dan. Thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah, so they threw together this movie, and the big stars in the first movie, you had Tatum O'Neill and Walter Matthau. They're like, nah, I don't think so. We're too big a star to do this. So it's basically take all the stars out of the first movie, and it's just the kids who are left in this one. And so you have Kelly Leak, Jackie Earl Haley, running the show in this one. And it's, it's, it's a, again, it's just an odd movie. I can't think of many parallels to this movie. Well, let's first get off, I mean, let's to start off with that the, the whole plot of the movie is completely wrong. They're supposed to be the California champs on their way to the Houston Astrodome to play in this mega game that's going to send somebody to Japan. But the last time I checked, the Yankees won the pennant, and they were the California champs. There's no there's no reason involved. I'm sure Roy Turner was kicked out of the league. The team was suspended. I'm sure that, you know, I'm, that's what I'm guessing. I was going to say, I love the phrasing there, the California champs, as if they're the entire champs of the state. <laughs> Last yes. I checked, not only did the Bears not win their own league, like the Yankees won the league. That doesn't mean the Yankees were the champion of the state. That just means they won the North Valley League. Roy Turner has a lot of pull in the state of California. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this movie is based around a premise that does not hold water. <laughs> the Bears, Nothing at all. Yeah, the Bears somehow won some championship. And if you go back and watch the first movie, they didn't win anything. So that... <laughs> And now, it will not surprise you, because we talked about this the first time, that I had a copy of the novelization and the script of the first one, and you made fun of me because that wasn't canon. Yes, correct. I also own a copy of the novelization of The Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, Dan. I have the uh, the paperback, and it's, and it's not close. <laughs> but if I recall, there's a story in there that explains how they ended up going on this, how they became known as the California Champs. I, I, can't, I don't remember. i got to be honest with you. It's been a while since I picked up the paper yeah, book. Yeah, well, I read it weekly. Okay, I what I recall, now I, I don't want to be called out by any Bad News Bears historians if I'm wrong, but if okay. I, I believe that the Yankees had to vacate the title because Roy Turner broke some rule. Okay. And Councilman Whitewood popped his head up there again and said, well, my son's team should be, uh, should be included in this California champ discussion because they lost to the team that cheated. And he started pulling all these strings and he started paying off all these people. So the Bears were basically bribed to become the California champs. Sounds about right. But once again, Whitewood could not come through with getting the team a coach to go to Houston. Come on. Wouldn't, sorry, wouldn't Toby's dad know that they didn't have a coach and he still allowed his son to get in this van and go to Houston? Like, come on. This, this is falling apart already. Yeah, they cut all the adults out of the movie. That's what Dan is joking about is that the adults in this movie are basically the Charlie Brown adults where they basically just go, wah, 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 wah. How much money do you need? It's just all kids. The kids run the show. The kids will be stealing a van and driving from California to Houston, even though they're 12, I think, ostensibly. Somewhere around there, 12, 13, and uh, they they didn't steal that van. They borrowed it from a friend. Yes. A very lawless society back in the 70s where 12-year-olds were routinely driving cross-country by themselves. Well, if you're from Van Nuys, you're born to drive, so it's fine. <laughs> Kelly Leak had it under control. 
Okay, so I will give a little bit of my history. I'll let you do yours in a second. Yes. But I actually didn't know there was a Bad News Bears in breaking training until about 1984 or so. And it's wow. funny because I grew up on the original, and again, my favorite movie. And I remember one night my brother and I were watching TBS or something, and this second Bad News Bears movie came on. And this is where I want to reiterate to our younger listeners. There was no internet movie database back then. There was no database of movies. You just had to – it was word of mouth hearing about movies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how absolutely. come nobody told me there was a second Bad News Bears movie? <laughs> and so my brother and I, we taped it on TV. And then I, that's the tape, I believe, we watched hundreds and hundreds of times in the background. Awesome. So that's, that's my history with this movie, that I, I was a latecomer. I did not know that there were the further, further adventures of the Aguilar brothers. I'm pretty sure I, I definitely did not see this in the theater in 1977. I can admit that. But I, I, I would honestly say I probably saw this. It was like, you know, a Saturday or Sunday, you know, afternoon local TV, probably after it had, you know, made its theatrical run and all that jazz and then was on local TV. So I don't have, I probably was the same with you as having a copy of it on VHS, probably, you know, 83, 84. But I remember seeing it all the time on, on TV prior to that. And it was the one that they would always show. I don't know why. I That one would always seem to be on replay over the other two. You know why that is? Because this one is more watered down. This one is much more yeah. kid friendly. Yep. Yeah. The first one Absolutely. is not. <laughs> no. no, it's not. It's not a fun movie. You can make it fun, but it's not where this one is just, it's a good, it's a good, fun, goofy movie, you know, good music, great music, excuse me, great music. Just, it's, it's a fun movie. And, and the, the last thing I want to say before we dive into the plot here is that we have joked that this is not a good movie and it's really like not great, but it's just good enough that it kind of works. And that's the one thing that jumps out of me every time I watch this movie. Like, I'm sitting there making fun of it. It's a goofy movie. The quotes are stupid. I don't buy half the stuff. But by the end, you actually kind of get one over because the ending is really good. It, yeah, we won't get there yet. But, no, it winds up being a – it's a good heart tugger. Um, my wife will even quote this movie now. Um, parts. Uh, we Play Baseball too is one of her favorites to drop whenever, whenever we're <laughs> at a Major League Baseball game. But um, – but yeah, no, it's, it, it, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, I'm ready to cry. I'm ready to cry. <laughs> so Dan's wife quotes the Native American thugs that challenge them to a baseball game in Texas. Part of it. Yeah, that's one of them. She, 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 she will drop that one, but um, she'll, she'll do a few other. Um, her favorite, though, is it's, there's no voices involved. It's just uh, Kelly Leak doing the, the double thumbs up in the car with a silly face. <laughs> yeah, she loves that. Well, I will say that my brother is a respected federal judge who works out of the state of Arizona. And to this day, I think he would still just drop a, come on, Carmen, in the background anytime we're watching baseball. Because for years, that was our, that was our, our go-to quote of Jose Aguilar just in a meek little voice saying, come on, Carmen, in the background. And we just love that stuff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, now I am almost in tears. That is so good. I love hearing that stuff. Okay, so we'll get there in a second. There's two other things I got to say is that okay. there's a there's a, a book series out there on Amazon. People can look it up. It's like a, a novel approach to cinema where, like, movie fans write about their favorite movies, and they put to a scholarly discussion about them. And someone actually wrote a book on the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, a guy named Josh Wilker, and I bought this book for my birthday because – Dan, I cannot believe this book exists. 
I'm surprised the amount of people that buy books from random people on Amazon, the things they write. You you should know about that. <laughs> yes. But I bought this book and it's like it's it's pretty good. It's like by a guy who loved this movie. He's like us. He inexplicably loves this movie for no reason. And he just talks about how much it meant to his life. Now, I don't know if I'd recommend it. There's nothing in there. If you haven't seen this movie, you're going to learn. But it's like I just love that somebody wrote a book about this movie. How many pages is it? It's like 100. It's not very long. Oh. I was thinking it might be like a pamphlet or something, but I, like I said before we started, I, I've never been enticed by the uh, the pricing of his book, so I've, I've never never went for it. Okay, and here's the last thing I wanted to say before we get into the movie is that the, you'll love this. This is kind of a long story, but it, it, okay. this will back up my love for this movie. Is that back in the 90s, late 90s, I think, mid to late 90s, there was a game show called Debt. Did you ever hear about it? I think I remember it. I think I remember it. I might look it up while we're talking. Okay. It was on Lifetime, uh, the television for women, I believe. So I was kind of embarrassed that I watched this as a 18-year-old boy, but still. <laughs> That's already how I don't know what it is. But <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, to quote the great Chris Klein from uh, American Pie, it was on the Lifetime Supply of Pantyhose or some shit network. Uh, I'm looking at, I'm, okay, yes, night, Lifetime, two seasons. Wink Martindale? Yes, Wink Martindale. And it was and it was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Game Show. And I don't remember this one bit, and I, I'm a game show junkie. Okay, well, here is why I'm going to entice you to look up this show. They okay. had a feature on that show I've never seen on any other game show, is that they try to wipe out your debt. Any debt you've accumulated in your life, they'll wipe it out. And you get to the end, and there's a special bonus round. And, Dan, okay, you're going to be salivating. The bonus round on the show was... Pick any pop culture specialty, and we'll come up with a question about it. Okay. So you could pick any movie, any TV show, anything, anything in the world of pop culture that has ever existed, and they would throw together their brain trust and try to stump you. And I will say my brother and I talked about this for years, what we would pick as our pop culture specialty category sure. when we go on debt. And unanimously, Dan, it was the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training because there wasn't a goddamn person alive that could come up with a question that would stump me about this movie. <laughs> Wow. Now, okay, now I've got to look on YouTube and find these shows. At, at first, when you started bringing up the show, I thought you were going to say that Jackie Earl Haley was on the show and was trying to get his debt wiped. But that's what I thought. We, I thought you were going that way. But this is a better story. Yeah, I don't think Jackie Earl Haley could get any work in the mid-90s. So I don't think that even yeah. that was that possible. But yeah, I just love that there was a game show where they would let any random Yahoo off the street pick a pop culture specialty, and they would try to stump them on it. And I'm like, the this show's got to be red. I know. Just give me the money. There's no way you're going to get me on a breaking training question. So I'm just, that's where we're going into this episode. And at one time, this was my pop culture specialty movie. Awesome. How come your brother's not on here with us? Is he too? He's too busy uh, busting people, right? Yes, my brother is a federal judge, and the Judicial House of Ethics has decreed that they are not to appear on Jackass Brother podcasts. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've I've tried to get him on. He just says he can't. It's a it's a make make brothers great again. Yeah, I, you should have listened to my Johnny Dangerously episode. I had to get a backup because that was my brother's favorite movie. Oh, that's a that's a classic. <laughs> Underrated gem. All right. So are you ready to dive into the weird universe of the Bad News Bears? Okay, so Yes, let's go. So the movie starts with basically the kids hanging out at the baseball field. And this is what I love about this movie is there's no grown ups in sight. It's just, the kids apparently call all practices. They run the show, they run the team now. That's how adults have been shut out of modern society by nineteen seventy seven. 
they're just sitting there and they're they're expecting the, they don't even know who the coach is we're here where's the coach like no one's gave him a phone call like the coach and call hey i'm your new coach let's fill out some forms we, let's get your parents involved at, at pizza hut nothing they're just sitting there <laughs> and as someone who has coached little league I know that parents never leave practice. It always annoyed me. They'd sit there and watch you practice. I'm like, well, go. Like, but in the movie, it's the opposite. There's no parents whatsoever. These kids, I don't know, but they take the bus or the skateboard to practice. Like, they, they have to get there. I just, I just love the amount of freedom these kids already have one minute into the movie. It's the 70s, though. Kids were just leave when it's light and come home when it's dark. We don't care where you are in between. Pocket knives, BB guns, baseball motorcycles, what uh, what have you. And in speaking of the 70s, I love the the clothing choices of the children in this movie. I love the styles and the fashions. Now, Kelly Leak is one we'll talk about later, but I love Toby. <laughs> I think most of those kids are they're dressed. I, the, I think their attire was pretty spot on, if you ask me. For, for kids, have you seen up, you know, 70s, 80s, late, early 80s, late 70s stuff? I thought it was pretty spot on. Like you said, Kelly Leak was a piece of See, work. that's not my argument. My argument is it is spot on, and it's spot on crappy because clothes were horrible in the 70s. Yeah, nothing, nothing fit. It was cheap. It was crud. <laughs> J.C. Penney's, you know, Montgomery Ward's, that type of stuff. I especially love Toby Whitewood, the son of the councilman, who has his blue shirt with his name written in giant blue letters across the front, where <laughs> Toby wears a shirt that literally says Toby across the front. And he's got cut-off jean shorts like he's strolling uh, strolling the Ave. Yeah, those are bad news shorts he's wearing. <laughs> so all these kids are at the field, and they don't have a coach, and they're talking about this game in Houston that they, for some reason, have been invited to play in, even though they shouldn't have been. And so they're like, hey, we don't have a coach. And then someone says, hey, I heard we have a new coach. Oh, really? Who is it? And it's apparently this guy from the high school. And again, how does nobody know this? Yeah, now they're sitting. Well, at first they say, "Oh, who is it? Buttermaker?" Like, huh? And they're like, "Oh, you know, look over there." Oh shit! And it's um, good old Dolph Sweet, Coach Manning. Now, great actor. What '80s sitcom would we know him from, Dan? Um, give me a break with Nell Carter. Very good. Well done. You have ten dollars on debt. You just won. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. He was a cop on the show, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I haven't watched yeah. that show in a grip. Yeah. So yeah, no, he was a, he was a fine actor and. He didn't last long in this movie, but uh, that, oh, that's another one that uh, my wife loves is the the assume on the chalkboard <laughs> oh. from Coach Manning. No, don't jump ahead. That's the best scene. <laughs> All right, so so let's talk about the team here. So we get the new coach who's this mean old man from the high school who's a disciplinarian, and that's not going to fly with these bears. But the team is a little different. We've lost a couple people from last season. Yeah, you've lost your pitcher, um, your coach, um, you kind of have a new catcher. You kind of don't. <laughs> explain that. Explain it, that. So uh, for those who don't know or don't care, <laughs> there's uh, a, a different Mike Engelberg from the first movie to the second movie. And, you know, there was, you know, the rumors are circulating like Paul McCartney that the real Engelberg's dead. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But truth be told, the, the kid grew four inches and lost a lot of weight. And they had to replace him. So... There's the long, long short of it. Yeah, the fat catcher from the first movie lost too much weight in between movies, and they fired him for being healthy. <laughs> so they replaced him with a replacement fat kid. So yeah, forever, like he, like uh, Dan said, this is the replacement Paul McCartney. Forever, the debate will linger. Who's better, old Engelberg or new Engelberg? I like new Engelberg. He was a little, little more smart ass. 
So, yeah, I, I'm Team New Engelberg. The, the distinction that I would use when I explain this to people is that old Engelberg was an asshole. He was just a jerk. Mm-hmm. And new Engelberg is fat and happy and jolly. Yeah, happy-go-lucky. Yeah, and the first one was just like, fuck you, I'm a fuck you type guy. And the other guy's like, hey, man, let's have some fun. I just got to take a poop. <laughs> see, I prefer my fat people angry, not jolly. But I can see if you prefer jolly. Like, he's more like Santa in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Good analogy. I'll go with that. <laughs> And we also lost, we lost some of the the interstitial players from the first movie, the ones that weren't as important. And like, no, Reggie. Reggie's. That's the thing. People wouldn't notice Reggie's not there. No, he's gone. He wasn't needed. <laughs> but he was like actually good at baseball, and he had a story with his dad yelling at him. And they just cut him out because he's not a cartoon character, so they don't need him in the second movie. And they don't need him in the second one because his dad would have shown up for practice. <laughs> That's true. Case closed. That's true. Case closed. Okay, so yeah. That's why he's not Yeah, there. they had a, for people who don't know, they had a kid whose dad would always show up in practice and yell at the kid. And if he's here in this movie, it scuttles the entire premise of the movie. So that's a good point. Well done, Dan. Do there you go. Thank you. So we lost Amanda, the girl pitcher. Um, we have a replacement, Engelberg. We've lost the big looper. Now, I want to talk about this because this is very important to the storyline. That mm-hmm. the whole subplot of the first movie is that they didn't like each other but they learned to get along and one of the most important parts of the movie is that the little a-hole second baseman tanner picked on this shortstop he was second baseman don't even don't get started on that it's was tanner second baseman in the first they call him shortstop but if you look in the movie he's no he can't make that throw he's too small so they put him at second there you go i'll shut up Lupus is the one who uh, gets picked on in the first movie. He's the little booger-eating moron. Uh, I guess there's other ways to describe him as well. But And then he got his come up until the end. He made the big catch, and everyone loved him, and he was the hero. And then they just write him out of the damn second movie, which is horrible. What what I still don't get is that they come to they come to visit Lil Looper. They give him, you know, I, they, we never heard anything. I wonder if, you know, did he really break his leg, the actor, and they wrote it in? I think the director went to his house and broke his leg personally just to write him out of the movie. Like, listen, kid, you need to be hurt, so come over here and I'm going to hobble you. I, I also enjoy, too, that they present him a picture that uh, a parent took of him making that catch, and I'm pretty sure that they didn't have a fancy camera to get that close-up of a picture back in 1977. Yeah, okay, well, I, that's another thing I love. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second, but... Oh my gosh, I'm jumping No, it's, it's cool. I understand. There's so much love for this movie. We're all over the place. <laughs> so they wrote Lupus out of the story. And in this, in this movie, he broke, they say he quote unquote broke his leg skateboarding, which. The kid couldn't even play any sports whatsoever. There's no way that kid was skateboarding. I know. That's my wife's argument, too. My wife is like, here, she's seen this movie so many times. She's like, there's no way that kid has ever been on a skateboard. He can't walk. He's a booger eating moron. There's no way that kid was skateboarding. Zero chance. But then again, maybe because he made that big catch, his he, he built himself up. The esteem was there. He became friends with, you know, all these kids were like, wait a minute, maybe Looper's cool. And Toby was skateboarding with him. <laughs> it, it, it turns out Looper is not cool. <laughs> yes. So they wrote Lupus out of this movie, although he will be we will hear about him a lot, but he's not out of the movie. And I always thought that was such a dick move. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to Looper in a second. So this is the team, and they're at the field, and the new coach shows up, and he's an authoritarian, and he hates them, and he starts disciplining them right off the bat, right? Oh, he's awful. Like, you know, there's no chewing gum. There's all these rules. Ugh. 
The guy's one of the, he, he's just the epitome of the worst coach of all time, easily. And now we get to the part that your wife loved, and I will let, I will give you the honors. This is what I do out of the goodness of my heart. I will let you explain the assume joke to people. So that's one of the the coaches going to teach these kids some lessons here, and um, if if they need anything, he doesn't care what it is. You know, if you need to go use the bathroom, blah blah blah, you need to come and ask me because, gentlemen. You don't want to assume anything, and there he goes with the perfect cursive on the chalkboard and splits the line where that way you don't make an ass out of you or me. And you get Engelberg saying, who sent this guy, Hitler? Gold. Gold stuff. Now, that was the first time in my life I'd ever heard the assume equals ass, you, me, and I've... I never heard. I never heard that either. That was probably the first time too. So that was just a joy to to learn something like that that you can drop on somebody on a, at a little kid's age. What's funny is I didn't realize that was a thing. I thought you had to know the bad news bearers to know that reference. <laughs> so I'd be dropping the ass plus you plus me on people, thinking that they think I was a genius. They're like, "Yeah, we know that phrase." I'm like, "What? Have, you've seen the bad news bearers in Breaking Dream?" But apparently that was a thing outside the movie as well. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. <laughs> okay, so. So uh, the, the coach is disciplining the kids, and they don't like him, and the coach kicks Engelberg off the team, and he wants to refer to Ahmad as Andy. little racism on the coach there? Yeah, let's, let's just call you Andy. Um, the, the Aguilar brothers, speak up, speak up. Like, they're speaking Spanish. They're not deaf. You don't need to yell at them. And, yeah, he kicks out Engelberg for saying his name's Elton John. Yeah, and then, and then lo and behold, who shows up to save the day? That's right. The the cool king of of uh, the the valley, Kelly Leak, shows up. The hero from the first movie. Who he looks like he's aged about twelve years in between movies. He's way older. He's thirty six. <laughs> he's thirty six. He ages like a cat or a dog. You know, there's those dog years. So yeah, he's he's very old in this movie, but um, he's there to play despite wearing bell bottoms and uh, cowboy boots. He's all, all, always ready to help out the team. Yeah, I, I love the weird time lapse that somehow Jackie Earl Haley is aged way faster than everybody else on this team. He doesn't look anything like the other kids. He doesn't look anything like he did in the first movie. He's got the angular face. He's got the pockmarked face. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, no, he, yeah, it's bad. Okay, but he is going to save the Bears because he's going to terrorize the coach. He's going to start riding his motorcycle around the field to infuriate the coach and get all the, the coach to quit. It's this. It makes no sense, too, with all that going on. Like, that that park used to be like, man, you know, there's jamborees. There's the, the, the everybody's there. And that, there was no one. Kelly can just show up and raise hell, and there's no repercussions. All right, I'm going to drop a little thing that will make you laugh on this movie. One of the... There's several things about this movie when I say it doesn't really exist in the real universe, the real world. So Kelly, the king of all rebels and badasses, drives his motorcycle on the field to terrorize the coach. Yet he wears a helmet. Now, Dan, could you in a million years think Kelly Leak, the rebel of all rebels, would have a helmet to be wearing in this scene? No one wore helmets then. <laughs> that was That's a new thing with a helmet, so... Yeah, either that or since he crashed his bike into the outfield wall in the first movie, he learned his lesson. But, yeah, that seemed kind of odd. There's no reason for him. <laughs> Unless he didn't want to lose his, his dopey brown, like, hippie hat. He had it on underneath. I don't know. So th there were two people that wore helmets in the 70s. Evil Knievel, when he was jumping 100 motorcycles, and Kelly Leak, when he was driving somewhat fast on a grass field. 
Safety first. <laughs> I just always love that for some reason he puts his helmet on. Safety first. <laughs> like Kelly Leak would not wear a helmet. I'm sorry. I saw the first movie. You're ruining it. You're making this a really bad movie now. Okay. So the kids lose their coach. They have no coach. And now we get one of the greatest scenes in movie history where they go to visit Looper, Timmy Lupus, who broke his leg in the first movie. He is held up in bed. He's got his leg in a cast. And they're going to go talk to him. Now, I know you love this scene. You must love this one. Oh, it's so funny. It's hilarious. Just <laughs> Now, what, what is so hilarious? I know what I think is funny. I'm curious what you think is funny about the scene. Well, again, you see no parents. So, you know, no one who let him in, they just left themselves in. So that that's odd. But um, I, I actually laugh at the same thing you do, and I've seen you post before. So Oh, you're saving it for me? Okay. Yeah, I'm actually saving it for you. Okay, this is the greatest scene entrance anybody has ever had in a movie, and I only hope to do it justice, where, where Ogilvy, the kid who was the little nerdy bookworm, who grew up like grew like 10 inches in between movies, Ten feet. he comes yeah. in and he talks to Lupus. He's like, oh, big looper. Engelberg's here, too. Here he is now. And that's the cue for Engelberg to enter the scene from the left through the door. Like, who announces their friend like that? Here he is now. And then he walks. The, uh, I only think is like, maybe the, the way the stage was, how it was set up. He couldn't see or hear, and he had to have the cue. I, I don't know. I think that's hilarious, too. Like, oh, here he is now. And it's not like Engelberg oh, enters the room, and Ogilvy says, oh, here he is now. No, it's a here he is now stage direction. Enter the room, please. Yeah, yeah. He should have came out. He should have came out like thrown confetti, like Rip Taylor. Yes. I'm like, all hail the king. Yeah, something, but no. It's just yeah. a fat kid. It's the replacement fat kid you might not recognize. What's really sad about this scene too is I've actually gone on. I didn't. I have not purchased, but I have found the uh, Star Trek coloring book on eBay that it's on his bed. <laughs> so big. <laughs> <laughs> So Big Looper has spent the summer becoming a badass skateboarder to the point that he broke his leg, and then he goes home and he takes out his four-year-old's Star Trek coloring book. Yeah, he's got his coloring book, he's got some Pops oversized cards, and and magically his room's covered in baseball stuff. Like, the kid couldn't even play baseball. Like, there's no way he had all these posters on his wall. Come on. Now, yeah, <laughs> oh, so, so many things I could say. Yeah, Looper, they change his character completely, that he can... He's the biggest spaz ever. Special needs. If you read the book, the novelization and the script, yeah. legit special needs. But no, now he's this completely normal kid who loves baseball and skateboards. He still has a he still has a special needs haircut in the movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> we can say that, can't we? Yeah, that's cool. I, I looked that one up. Haircut. We can say haircut. <laughs> yes, haircut is not a slur. So, okay, cool. so this is where you said they give him a, a gift that, you know, we're going to the Houston Astrodome and we feel bad that little Timmy Lupus can't come with us, that the director, the dick director wrote him out of the movie. And so we got you a gift and they give him an autograph ball. And this is the picture that you said earlier, right? The, the framed. Yeah. Like, what's he want with that? It's a picture of himself and, and a ball scribbled on by his friends while they all get to go play in the Astrodome. Like. His parents suck. Like, his parents should have, you know, again, that's why the parents aren't involved. It ruins the movie. But if that was my kid, I'd have been like, look, kid, we're we're paying you to go to Houston. You got to be there. It's the Houston Astrodome. You're not missing this. I don't, you know, come on. You can sit on the bench and root on your kids. That's what you did back here. It's not going to be any different to sit on the bench in Houston. 
Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the, the picture that Dan is talking about, they give him a framed picture of him from the first movie catching a ball. Although it's like from eight inches in front of his face. And like Dan said, I don't remember there being a camera right in his face when he took that, made that catch. So it's a very odd picture that they would somehow have in possession. It's, it's ex- what it, exactly, if, you know, if people have not seen this movie, it would be like a Family Ties episode where they're just going to do a filler episode where they get out the family album and they look at a picture, and then the picture becomes the movie. Like, there's just no way that that picture had ever been taken in its life. That That's the picture. You know, and he kind of does look like the little Brian Bonzal who played Andy. <laughs> He's got the same special needs haircut. <laughs> and here's the last part of the scene that I love, is that they're like, you know, Looper, we're going to go to the Astrodome. Again, I don't know how they know they're going to go, but they, we're going to go. And, we're, and if we win, we get to play a team in Japan. And if we win, you're going to come with us next time, right? And this is the whole crux of the movie that Looper's going to go. If they win, he's going to go to the third movie. And spoiler, they win, and then they don't put Looper in the sequel. <laughs> well, if, you know what? If there's got to be some sort of rules. Like, he didn't play. I mean, someone else had to take his place. So what are you going to do? Tell that kid he can't go to Japan? <laughs> I just think Timmy Lupus is a fucking liar. Maybe he broke his leg again. He broke his other leg. Maybe it was, he got gangrene and had to have his leg amputated. I mean, there's, there's there, I'm still waiting for the Criterion Collection Director's Cut Blu-ray. I mean, there's probably a lot left out. Is that your fan fiction version of this, that Timmy Lupus got gangrene and they had to amputate him like Lieutenant Dan? Yeah. If he can't play... Make it bad. He owed some money to the mob. They broke both of his legs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Correct. that's it for Lupus. We will never see Lupus again ever in any Bad News Bears movie, even though they dedicate this win to him and he promises to go there for the third movie. But none of that will happen. So screw you, Timmy Lupus. Yeah, take a hike, Looper. <laughs> okay. Hey, guess what? We're about to be introduced to my favorite character in this movie. There's so many great favorite characters in this movie. Please tell us who. Okay, so... The Bears, because we lost Tatum O'Neill from the first movie, we lost the girl pitcher, Amanda. It turns out we need a pitcher, and Kelly apparently knows some guy. <laughs> and so we are going to bring in one of the greatest movie characters in history, Carmen Ronzani, who, how would you describe Carmen Ronzani to the novice Bad News Bears watcher? I would describe him as the cheaper replacement of his brother Scott Bayo that they could not afford, so they went with the cheaper brother Jimmy Bayo. But he's like, yeah, no, he, a combination of Joe Pesci and the the younger little bad kid in Christmas Story, like those two mixed together. Like, hey, hey, hey. You mean Grover Dill, the little toady? Yeah, the little kid. Yeah, that's the kid. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna get some off-brand Bayo here. So, yeah, this is not Scott Bayo who is a big star. This is his cousin, I believe, Jimmy Bayo. He's 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 brand X. Yeah, it's the generic the generic the generic Bayo. <laughs> and it's funny cuz like in every sports movie, you get all the clichés like the fat kid and you know, there's all the clichés you're going to hit from every every angle. This one they have the wisecracking Italian greaseball kid, which I I did not know was a stereotype, but apparently it was in kids sports movies. In this one it is, but he's and he smokes too. Now, Jimmy Bayo, I, I should give a little history here, that he was the more successful of the two Bayos at the time. He'd actually done more than Scott at this point. He really? quickly faded into history when Scott Bayo's star usurped his, and Jimmy Bayo faded off into oblivion. 
to the point that like nobody wow. has ever heard from this guy in like 20 years. No, I, you know what? I obviously, again, we love this movie and, um, friends with a couple of the guys from this movie on Facebook and that dude, you can't find anything on this guy, like a recent picture. Like he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. I am. Should I blow your mind a little bit to know that I've actually looked Jimmy Bayo up on Facebook? Is he, is he on there? He is on there. I think it's it's not under Jimmy. It's James Bayo or Jim Bayo or something, but he is on there. There's not a recent picture, but there's enough pictures of him to know that's actually Carmen Ranzani. That is the man. Wow. Wow. What about – now, we're jumping off topic here. Uh, Chris Barnes is the other guy, the guy, kid that plays Tanner Boyle. He's another one that kind of just disappeared off the face of the earth. And I keep reading that like he was possibly on an episode of Seinfeld. But I don't know if that was really him. I mean, that's a pretty generic name. Yeah, I've I've seen that episode of Seinfeld. I don't think that's him. It doesn't look like him at all. Yeah, I think I think he just disappeared. Okay, so Carmen Ranzani. So apparently Kelly knows this guy, this greaser Italian kid from quote unquote back east. We don't learn where Carmen's from. All we know is that there was heavy action back east, man. Uh, were they pen pals? Like, I don't understand. There's no internet, no social media back then, so I'm not sure how Kelly out here in Van Nuys had this little buddy of his back east, and, you know, there was a lot of heavy action, so he had to come out. I, it makes zero sense, dude. I, I just am now picturing Kelly Leak and Carmen Ranzani having a very genuine pen pal relationship. Where, Dear Carmen, my dad left my family this afternoon. Please come out and help. Instead of instead of uh, spraying the envelope with a, a little bit of perfume, he blows some cigarette smoke on it. Now, now I can say this, of course, being Italian, you're not allowed to say this. But I, I am allowed because I'm married to an Italian, so I've got carte blanche. This Italian greaseball Carmen shows up. He's in a leather jacket with his name emblazoned across the front. Once again, the people's names on their shirts back then. Yeah, that's, well, this is all before that Adam Walsh kid got taken away when he had his Adam shirt on, so you used to be able to put your name on shirts. True story. Really? So that that's why they stopped putting names on shirts? I think that's one of the reasons they stopped doing all that stuff. They're telling parents, don't put your kids' names on stuff. The strangers can come say the kids' names, blah, blah, blah. So they didn't do that in the 70s. You know what's funny is I have a picture of myself in my... 10-year-old school picture with my mom put me in a Ghostbusters shirt that says Mario across the front. So that's after Adam Walsh. So my mom did not like me, apparently. Did your mom take you to Sears and leave you by herself? <laughs> she was trolling for predators. Please take my child. <laughs> wow. So anyway, back to Carmen Ronzani. <laughs> yes. And let's get back to Carmen Ronzani. We forgot the part of his grand entrance when he's at those, when he could easily just walk through the open space onto the field, but decides to hop the fence. Like, what a stud. Yeah, there's this fence. And to enter the field, all Carmen has to do is get off of Kelly's motorcycle and walk about a foot and a half to enter the field. But no, he walks up to the fence. It's like a little short three foot high fence. And he hops onto it with one leg and then hops over it. <laughs> there's no reason for that. It's just Jimmy Bayo doing Jimmy Bayo stuff. And, you know, they see they knew each other. They were pen pals. They ride motorcycles together. Car Carmen's, Carmen's the new Amanda. <laughs> yes. So 
I'm not going to touch that joke. Oh, well, I'll get there. You, you can cut that. You no, we'll cut get there out. later. I'm just setting up where we're going to go with that. <laughs> so we have okay. a, a loving, tender relationship between Kelly and his new Amanda. Okay, so, so <laughs> we find out that Carmen is not so much a pitcher as he does impressions of pitchers. He will stand there and he will impersonate famous pitchers, and this makes him a pitcher. <laughs> Uh, everyone did that back in the day. If you're playing wiffle ball or baseball or, you know, trying to do the stance. But, yeah, you never see him throw a ball. You just, you know, Louis Tiat, you know, Catfish Hunter, Warren Spahn. You know, he just, he just knows everyone's wind-ups, but you never actually see him throw a ball. But, but you know, he had heavy action back east, so he's a good pitcher. In his own words, I'm he is what is known as a basic versatile ball thrower. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen. So Carmen shows up, and this is where we get the, you know, there was a lot of language in the first movie, a lot of words that we're not allowed to say, but Dan said anyway. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. so, yeah, Tanner sees this Italian greaseball pretending he's a pitcher, and are you going to say the quote this time or not? I I, I can. I'll do it. It's in the movie. So, and, you know, Carmen's kind of, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 and then you got Tanner. Give specs niggas and a wop that throws air balls. There you go. That's the line. Thank you. So I'm now banned from uh, all podcasts on on uh, iTunes. Thank you. Really? You can't do that on iTunes? Can't quote movies? We're just quoting movies. Just art. That's all it is. Okay. You can bleep me out. But that's in the movie, and I'm only repeating it because it's in the movies. And then Carmen, of course, doesn't like being called a wop that throws air balls. And he tells Kelly, I don't know what's up. I don't want to pound the little man. They're both about the same height. (laughs) I want his leather jacket, though. It is a really nice leather jacket. You guys, it's red, red front and back, and black sleeves with white and red, and then Carmen in black on the front. And I think it's it's real leather, too. I don't think it's pleather. I think it's real. Yeah, if we get it for you, it has to say Dan on the front, right? No, I want it to say Carmen. Well, that's just sick. I don't sick. want anybody to. I don't. I don't like anyone knowing who I am. My God, Carmen was abducted from a mall, and you want his shirt? That's terrible. <laughs> if it fits. So, so anyway, this is the team now. They have their pitcher, and they still need a coach. And the, this is the problem. They need to go to Houston in a couple days to drive there to Astrodome, and they don't have a coach. And this is Kelly's brilliant idea because once again, Kelly Leak will solve all their problems. Yeah, they Kelly's got it lined up that they're gonna. Um, you know, there's a lot of special needs people in these movies, and one of them is uh, Lester Eastland, who we've referred to him as Coach Lester Eastland, but he's also known as the guy who's like the maintenance guy at the park, the school that just uh, trims the grass and fix the toilets, basically, and that can't speak. I'm going to call back to a reference earlier when you talked about Lester Eastland's house. How, do, how did Lester Eastland afford a house? <laughs> It's the 70s. I mean, back then, I mean, if you worked hard and you saved your money, you, you could do all kinds of things back then. And what's surprisingly is Lester, the one special needs groundskeeper in the movie, doesn't actually have a shirt with his own name written across the front. You'd think out of everybody, he'd be the one that would need his own name written across the front. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no sort of identification of that he's with Parks and Rec or anything. So, yeah, you're right. That should have been a call out. That is the plot of the movie. They are going to pretend the special needs groundkeeper is their coach so they can lie to their parents, and they are going to go to Houston on their own. So they they kidnap this guy. Basically, they befriend this poor special needs guy. Yeah, they didn't kidnap him. They just gave, I think they just gave him weed and a six-pack of beer. They set him up just to break his heart. This is horrible. They, they mess with this guy's heart. This is like a uh, 
what is it? In Backstreet Boys, don't play games with my heart. They play games with Lester's heart. <laughs> but okay, now I, I love that Lester has a nickname, and I have to point this out because this is not the typical usage of this word. Remember what Tanner, what Tanner calls Lester? You refer to him as a walking bimbo. That makes zero sense from what I was taught what a bimbo was, which we can't talk about anymore. Can't say it, but. I don't know what Lester does on the weekends, but he's he's a walking bimbo. Is Lester walking through town picking up tricks? I don't know what. But yeah, there's a couple words that have changed usage since the 70s. Jerk is one. Jerk originally meant you were a, like a nerd, and now it means like you're an a-hole. It changed. But apparently bimbo did too, because bimbo just means a special needs guy. <laughs> I, again, I'm going to have to look this up. We need to look at the history of the word bimbo. I'm I'm guaranteeing there's nowhere in anything that says it's about a stupid guy. So they take Lester, the walking bimbo, and they train him. It's like a dog. They teach him a few, a few catchphrases like, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Have you seen my wiener? And they set this guy up like they're friends with him. And they trick all their parents. They're like, oh, we got this new coach, Lester. And I think this is one of the rare times we see the parents in the movie, right? That's the only time that I remember you see the parents, and it, it kind of goes through each kid um, at the dinner table with their parents, um, some with their siblings. And um, it's bringing up the fact that, you know, hey, um, we have this opportunity. We're going to Houston. Um, we're going to need some money to go on this trip. And it breaks down on how much each kid needs to go on this trip. And they also lie about having a coach. They have to somehow trick their parents into thinking the idiot guy who drives the lawnmower is their coach. So they all did different ways of trying to trick their parents. Anyway, long story short, they all lie. They say they have a chaperone. And then the day of the trip comes where the kids are all going to go to Houston. And this is where we find out they have a stolen van, not stolen van. I'm not entirely sure what the story is here. Well, to, to double back, though, too, um, what's funny when they're sitting with talking to their parents when, you know, uh, the Aguilar brothers only need $4 for both of them. Um, Engelberg needs $75 because, you know, he wants to eat a bunch. But um, Ahmad's brothers knew who Eastland was. And when he's like, Coach, Coach Chu, Eastland, and they start cracking up because they knew that, that he was pulling some shenanigans. But good for his brothers. They didn't knock him out. I, I, I agree. And I, I do love that Ahmad's brothers get more screen time than the big looper in this movie. More character development from his sidekick brothers. So, yeah, so we're, we're, so we're going to, to – so they get to Eastland's house. Is that where we're heading? If you'd like to call it Eastland's house. I'm not sure whose house that is, but, yeah, that's the house you were talking about. It, it could be a – let's say it's a, it's a group home. It's his group home where he lives at, and they've got the van, and um, it's just the kids are excited. Like, oh, my God, look at this van. Holy smokes. Um, you know, Ahmad's brothers stay cool. You know, they're like, oh, wow, this is it, man. <laughs> and then they then they get in the van and that's going like, well, where did you get this van from? Like, uh, where'd this come from, man? Like, they didn't even worry about it until they were halfway down the road. And we never do actually find out where this van came from. No, no, it was from where did you get this van? Oh, it's from a friend. Uh, well, what friend? Well, you know, you owe us something from somebody else. So it's a stolen. It was a. I think it was stolen twice is what I'm guessing. This van's been stolen a couple of times. Um, I'm sure. I don't know why anyone would steal that van. It's pretty uh, unique looking van that would be spotted by the cops anywhere you went. Yes. Please explain this van. The, the wonder wonderkind of the seventies, this van, what does it look like, Dan? 
Oh, it's beautiful. I wish I had it. It's a, it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't say it's fire engine red. It's kind of an orangey red and it's got this like yellow trim of flames and inside it's just wall to wall carpet. Oh, it's awesome. I wish I had it. I, I would gladly, I would gladly give up my Prius for it. Oh, that's a high praise right there. <laughs> Yeah, so they're in the world's ugliest van, and then they ditch Lester. Poor Lester, who just wanted to have a friend. These kids were being nice to him. They ditch him there, and they drive off, and then they're laughing at him, which I... They, I, they, they, they told the guy he was going to the Astrodome. Yeah, he was all in. He was so all in, and they just they ditched him, and they, they laughed so hard at that poor guy. Again, a, a movie you can't you can't make fun of special needs peoples anymore. They did it. They did, openly, and that's, that's the punchline of the movie. They tricked the special needs guy. <laughs> and the music starts up and they're all cheering yeah <laughs> and it's happy music cue the cue the, you know, cue the orchestra boom boom, boom do, 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 do. like they they got over on this handicapped dude in a stolen van peace out and their parents too they rolled out on their parents actually the parents split before they even did they just there, there was no nothing they just dropped their kids off and split so, yeah, off they go. <laughs> and, of course, just the the little side quotes in this scene, just the kids little saying things in the background. They're all talking. You just hear them because some kids are mic'd a little louder than others. And I always love you. You, mm-hmm. you walked over it a little bit. Carmen, when he first sees the van, this is it, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. It's a, such a great van. Heavy action. So, yeah, heavy action in Van Nuys. They start driving, and they're heading to Houston, and Kelly is driving, and Kelly is supposed to be 12 or 13 in this movie. I'm not entirely sure, but he looks 40. <laughs> and right from the bat, they, right from the start, they almost get pulled over by the cops. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, they, you know, Ogilvy, or not Ogilvy, excuse me, Engelberg sees the, the cops out the back. We got the cops on the back, and they just lose it. Uh, um, Ahmad thinks they're going to the pen. We're going to the joint. We're going to the joint. The Aguilars are spitting on people. Uh, all hell breaks loose. But all you need is a cigarette, sunglasses, and a dopey hippie leather hat, and you're good to go. That's right. The cops are fooled of Ke- with, by Kelly in a hat smoking. He looks like a grown-up. Well, he waves at him, too, like, you know what, dude? It's cool. Just fucking get out of here. He just waves him on. Like, anyone dressed like that nowadays in a van, you're just going to wave some cop off. And those cops drove by. They obviously saw a bunch of people just lined up petrified in the back of that car. No, 100% chance that truck, that uh, van's getting pulled over nowadays. And again, to be fair, Jackie O'Haley did look about 35 in this movie. So I could see how he could fool the cops. Okay, so Correct. now we go to the first musical montage in this movie, and oh, do I love this. This is this wonderful song called Life is Looking Good by a guy named, I think, James Rolleston. Is that his name? James, James Rolleston. I have right. heard this song infinity times over the years. To this day, there's no way I buy that that's a guy singing that song. Well, there's the girl, there's a female voice that she does the backing and the hook, the verse, but... uh. The, the the vocals, yeah, I've looked up this guy before. He's done some other stuff for other movies, TV stuff, but yeah, it's a dude. And, and let's let's can we not disagree about anything more than that's a wonderful song. I love it. I agree. I have it on my iPod. I love, love this it. song. It should have been released, but you you can't listen to this song without thinking of like the seventies. It just pictures you know going on a road trip in the seventies with your buddies and just chilling out. It's such a nice perfect song driving in the van windows down smoking cigarettes drinking and driving no seat belts 
Uh, life is looking good, blaring out the windows, just the, the warm air hitting you on the face out in the open roads. Yeah, and that's, again, what we're talking about. This movie kind of sucks. It's just goofy and all over the place. But the stuff that's really good in it is amazing. And this song is so good. And I would say this little montage is as good as almost anything in the first movie. Oh, it's great. And they're, they're cruising down the highway. They try to pick, pick up the hitchhiker again. Would the girl rather get in a van with a bunch of little boys or some creepy truck driver? She, she, she chose no with the little boys. Probably would have been safer with those little boys. Um, you get Engelberg needed to take a dump. Um, and it's all within that song and music and them driving on the highway. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll talk about that hitchhiker scene here. The, there's a scene where they, they stop and they see this hot-looking hitchhiker on the side of the road. We'll just see how far the, how far the scene would go in the Me Too era where the hitchhiker, the hot teen girl, walks up to the car, and she opens it up to want to get in the car with them, and the back opens of the van, all these boys, teen boys, spill out and start ogling her. She's like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. And then she starts running away, and they chase after her as the car goes into reverse and chases her down the strip, the median strip of the highway, as she's screaming, no, 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 stay away, no. What <laughs> while life is looking good, music starts back up. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the seventies, where we just stalk people. Again, she was better off getting in with the car with them. Okay, so here we go to their first motel stop. They stop at this little motel somewhere in. I don't know, Arizona, New Mexico, we're not entirely sure. And Carmen tries to pool all their money. They don't want him. They don't like Oat. They don't, don't like trust him. Why should they? He's Italian. Can't trust him. He's Italian, exactly. You don't, you don't trust Italians. Nope. So they go into the hotel room, and this is where we get one of the more memorable scenes in the movie. And there's a lot going on here. Well, sure. They, uh, obviously, they pool the money together. They trust Ogilvy more. So Ogilvy goes into this motel and he's just like, hi, you know, like like a room for tonight. You know, how much is that? And, and the, the, the you know, it's late at night. So like the guy's working the counter, his wife's peeking around the corner. And so he finds out how much it is and he, and he leans back and he's like, uh, hey, dad, you know, it's X amount of dollars, blah, blah, blah. It's like twenty nine dollars or something like that. And you can hear Kelly go, how many rooms? Oh, one room, dad. Take it. That, I heard that was Jackie Earl Haley's real voice. Uh, it, ha it was. It had to have been. But what's great is Ogilvy just just smooth, calm, collected. Where we get later on how smooth Ogilvy is. But he's and the, well, why don't your parents come in? Well, you know they're, they're kind of self conscious after the fire. You know how much really can plastic surgery do? So he implies that he's been on the road and his parents are just driving from city to city and rolling into motels late at night and hide because they're burnt. Horribly disfigured creatures. This movie has a dark undercurrent. <laughs> <laughs> Ogilvy's savagely burned parents. <laughs> so they get into the hotel room, and they immediately chaos. They're all fighting for the beds. Tanner and, and Carmen fight again, and Tanner calls him a dumb wop. So that's good. And Engelberg's, of course. Now, Dan, when when the fat kid in the movie sits down in a hotel room, what would be his first instinct? What's the first thing he needs to do in the hotel? Uh, get the phone book and call the local Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> he needs food. But let's also say too, they run in there and they need to use the bathroom. And back, in, you know, maybe people listening to this aren't as old as us, but 
Um, I don't think they do it anymore, but I remember, you know, going on road trips when I was a little kid and you go into a clean uh, motel room in the bathroom, they would have that little piece of paper over the toilet to mean it was sanitized, it had been cleaned. Well, the kid's mistaken, like, it's being sanitized, we can't even use it. They think it's being cleaned by this piece of paper over the toilet. All right, yeah, so just chaos, and in the midst of all the chaos, the kid's just being spazzes, and Engelberg ordering fried chicken, and uh, there's a great scene where they have a pillow fight, and they accidentally hit the door, and you get the wonderful shot of Engelberg spread eagle on the toilet eating fried chicken. Again, this is uh, another one of my wife's favorite lines that she'll drop, um, Shut the damn door! Yeah, but who who eats? Who's, it's so disgusting. He's sitting on the toilet, taking a dump with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken in his lap. And I still don't know, and I, and I still do not know if he ever got the uh, biscuits and coleslaw, because when he called him, he was upset the biscuits and coleslaw were extra. Yeah, I was going to say, this scene is goofy, and we both love Engelberg quotes, but we both love different Engelberg quotes. Like, you and your wife love, shut the damn door! And my brother and I always loved, what do you mean biscuits and coleslaw are extra? <laughs> oh, I love it. So good. Again, this this whole scene that takes place in this hotel room, it, what goes in and out of this hotel room is some really good stuff. Some some funny stuff, but some uh, powerful stuff as well. <laughs> yes, it's, it's like waiting for Godot. It's very powerful. <laughs> So, yeah, though, in the midst of all the chaos, Kelly leaves because the kids are acting like a bunch of idiots. And Carmen, the Italian kid, decides to go next door. For some reason, Carmen gets an entire scene to himself here. And I'll let you explain this one because I know this is a personal favorite of yours. This is a personal favorite. So Ron's eyes like, hey, does anyone wanna, I'm going to get out here. I'm going to get something to eat. Like anyone want to go with me? Of course, everyone doesn't like the guy. So like the heck with you. So um, Carmen winds up at the, the convenience store that's next door to the uh, the motel. And all you see him, he's got some newspapers under his arm, and he grabs a Playboy. And, again, if he's going to try and purchase any one of these magazines, there was a Hustler right next to it, which is far better pornography over Playboy. I'm glad you said that, because I was going to say that. Yeah, like, you're, you're going to try and steal this. You, you went with the wrong one, kid. So anyway, excuse me. So he grabs a Playboy and goes up to the counter, and... I still don't get this. Like, was the, the age limit? Because from watching Days and Confused, you could go buy beer at 18, which is the same time frame as this movie, but he couldn't buy a Playboy. Or was that, or was it, would he just assume that he was 12? I guess I should have made that assumption. <laughs> yeah, I do believe there was an age limit on pornography. But yeah, Carmen tries to buy, he tries to buy the Playboy, and the guy's like, I'm sorry, I need to see your ID. He's like, yeah, well, what are how are these young kids supposed to learn anything? Like, really, I don't. But they completely admit the whole scene where he shows back up. I got three Playboys. Who wants one? So they don't show did he actually purchase the Playboys or did he steal the Playboys? But uh, long story short, I own one of those Playboys. You know, brighter minds than us have tried to figure this out over the years. How does Carmen get the three Playboys out of the mini-mart? Because, yeah, like Dan said, they show Carmen being rebuffed. The clerk will not let him buy the one Playboy. And then all of a sudden, we go back to the room, and he has three Playboys. Inside, the wrapped up in the newspaper. So he, ob he, so he stole them. So do they not show him? Did he already have them? Did he go in, and there was a sneaky Pete, and, and then slid him in there, and then actually tried, I mean, already had three stolen, and then tried to buy the one? It doesn't make sense, and it'll boggle your mind. I, I don't even like talking about it because, you, it, I'm, again, I'm waiting for the Criterion Collection director's cut. Maybe we'll find out. 
Well, in the novelization, Carmen steals the Playboys, although this is the part of the scene that I love. Now, again, how I say this movie doesn't really take place in the real world. So Carmen works so hard to get three Playboys, and he comes back to the hotel room, and what is the first thing he does with those three Playboys, Dan? He taunts everybody. Who wants one? And makes people taunt and jump on beds for him to be his buddy. Please, Carmen, please. We want to be your friend, Carmen. He goes to so much work to get three Playboys, and then he doesn't even read them. He hands them out so he can read the newspaper. He's from back east. I mean. <laughs> Is he a Wall Street broker? You've seen pictures of 42nd Street in the 70s. He's been around the block. Heavy action. So, yeah, that's what I love about Carmen. He doesn't even read his Playboys. And uh, and Ogilvy went back to his corner on the cop. He didn't look at him either. And so all the kids are reading Playboys and then doing whatever boys do after they read Playboys. We don't see that part. But anyway, Carmen is concerned because Kelly is not here, their leader. He's wondering where Kelly went to. And apparently Kelly's gone for a walk. And there's a quote here I know you love, Dan, where he's where <laughs> Carmen is going to compare Kelly Leak, the rug rat from Van Nuys, to some famous historical figures. Uh, yeah, so Tanner's talking like, or no, Toby is like, oh, where, you know, where'd Kelly go and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, who's this guy he's talking about? I'll leave him alone. And, you know, he's such a great guy. But, you know, Kelly's, you know, he's last of the Mohicans, Charles Lindbergh, James Dean, Kelly Lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. How many times did they have to film that with them not laughing hysterically? Kelly Leak is an equivalent to Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> and we find out that there's some guy in Texas they're going to see that Kelly knows. And we'll find out later it's his father. Spoiler. But anyway, so yeah, so Kelly's kind of troubled by this voyage. And, and here we go. So we leave the hotel room. Is there, there was nothing else in, the, in, that, in that room, in that scene, right? Oh, gosh, no. That's, that was where the, like, the heart-tugging stuff was, dude. That's where uh, Tanner, Tanner was watching the new Rock, Rockney movie. All right, explain this to people. There is a heart in this movie, and again, it's so you, you wouldn't think there's actually any emotion or heart in this movie, but there actually is. It's the Tanner Boyle scene. Why don't you explain this to people? So, yeah, so back in the, in the hotel room, you know, we, everyone's petered out with the Playboys and their business and ate all their Kentucky Fried Chicken and passed out. But um, Tanner stays up, and he's watching the uh, all-American Newt Rockney movie. And, you know, we've we've been accustomed to see that in the first movie and the second one that, you know, Tanner's a tough guy. Um, he says some filthy things. But Tanner's sitting on the edge of the bed just taking this movie in. He's got tears in his eyes. But this is when Kelly came back in. And, and it's just a great scene. As I mean, It's probably the best filmed, one of the best film scenes in this movie where you get Tanner on the bed crying watching the show. But you got Kelly in the background and Kelly kind of fades in and out of focus just watching, he's not watching the movie, he's watching Tanner, and he sees how passionate Tanner is about winning and, and being a good teammate. And this ties into their fallen comrade, Timmy Lupus, who they have dedicated this game to his memory, and so Tanner's watching this movie about win one for the Gipper, he shakes up the mantra, we're going to win one for the Looper, and so that becomes the whole mantra through this movie, that it's basically the Newt Rockney story, where Kelly Leake plays Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> and James Dean. Yes. Okay, so we're done with the motel scene, and now we're going to get to the action of the movie, that the bears get back in the van, they go, keep driving again. It's like, it's like the, these driving scenes are awesome, because they're like summer camp, it's just like kids singing and stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that, that's how it would go in real life, but in the movie, in this world, that's what they do, they sing. 
<laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I don't you think they would have hated that in like road trips with their parents? But yet, won't your mother be disgusted when she see? How does it go? What something about mud? It's a it's a really filthy song if you think about it. It's got like having muddy footprints on the the roof of your car, on the ceiling of your car, because you're probably having sex or something. I can't. I don't know. I think it was a filthy song. I, I actually don't remember the words to that song. That's the one question they might have got me on my debt specialty category. I, it's all about yeah, yeah, they're having sex in the car and drinking when your mom's not home. Yeah, won't your mother be disgusted when she sees? I, I can't remember how the rest of it goes. Now I'm mad. They're all they're all like hugging each other and on each other's laps. I'm like, what the hell world is this? <laughs> no, that's what happens when you give kids playboys. <laughs> so, so, so okay. So they get to Texas. They finally cross the line into Texas in their stolen van. And this is where we run into the first the first oh. enemies of the movie is that while they're in a place called the Rancho Drive-In. They are about one day away from Houston. They run into a group of Native American street toughs. Because, you know, there's always roaming gangs of Native American baseball street toughs roaming those lands. <laughs> yeah, there's always roaming. Yeah, I, the roving bands of Native American baseball. It's, they're all strapped up with their gear. They're ready to roll wherever they're at. And, and, and the famous line, they're pounding that mitt. We play baseball, too. My favorite one, another one of my wife's favorite lines. Um, anytime we go to a major league baseball game, um, or there's a baseball game on, I she'll she'll drop the line. So to paint a picture for people, it's this random drive-in in Texas, in the outskirts of Texas. I don't know where it is, and there's a roaming gang gang of nine Native American baseball players who find the Bears and are looking at their gear. And one of them says, "Do you play baseball?" And Carmen, of course, as the spokesperson, says, "Yeah, we play occasionally. We got a game in the dome this Sunday." <laughs> yeah, no, for, he's like, "Yeah, yo." He turns around like they couldn't hear what he said. Oh, this guy wants to know if we play baseball, just being a, a smart dude. Like, yeah, we, we play occasionally. We got the game at the Dome. Like, come on. Like, they're like some barnstorming team from the 20s. <laughs> so Carmen's apparently Satchel Paige. He travels the country and just pitches <laughs> and does shadow pitching where he imitates famous pitchers. <laughs> so the Native American kids challenge the Bears to a game, and they walk out to the shittiest sandlot field you've ever seen. It's like a cemetery. We get one of the goofiest baseball scenes I have ever seen in a movie. That's gold. I mean, it, anything counts. There's tombstones. There's rocks. Um, behind home plate, you can try and catch a ball inside of a burnt-out car. I mean, they had it all set up, so... Again, do these kids just wait? I mean, is that the, the expressway of teams, baseball teams that cruise through that area where they, and if they are that good, wouldn't they have spent more time coming up with a better field to challenge kids at? These guys are like a Venus flytrap. They ensnare traveling baseball teams. Yeah, I got to talk about some of the goofiness at this field. I love, first off, the fact the catcher in the game does not wear a mask. So he doesn't need one. The pitchers are throwing so slow that the catcher doesn't even need a mask behind the plate. And then the dimensions of this field make me laugh every time I watch it. The more I watch this, the funnier it gets. The shortstop is literally right next to the pitcher. How big is this field? The base pass like 30 feet? It's tiny. It's a homemade wiffle ball field dimensions. It's bad. <laughs> it's terrible. And Carmen, we find out Carmen can't throw a strike. No, that's where they find out this guy can't throw a strike, and he thinks it's uh, 
he almost hits these guys numerous times. And uh, as, as Tanner says, you, we're going to be scalped. <laughs> that actually happens in a cut scene. The Native American kids kill them and then scalp them. So it's, it's a terrible, dark movie. <laughs> no, but the, the Native American kids win 15 to nothing. Although, again, just watch this scene and watch how slow the pitchers are pitching. It's like they're literally underhanding it almost. It's so slow. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. But, they hey, these kids, they, you know what they do have? They have a scoreboard and people to work the scoreboard. So <laughs> it's just a lawless time this Texas, these roving bands of teams. So the Bears lose their first game against these street hustlers, these Native American kids, and now they're all depressed. And we find out that nobody thinks we can win and blah, blah, blah. So we have a cruddy pitcher. We have a cruddy pitcher. Carmen is a cruddy Dago Wap pitcher. And I can say that. That's cool. That is. You can say that. Again, remember, so can I. I'm married into the Italian family. I have. That's true. Oh. Yeah, you do fall into the yeah, the uh, interstitial rule, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so now the Bears drive to Houston and they get there, and there's actually a nice. It's funny for as goofy as this movie is, you get these nice reverential shots of the Astrodome. Like they drive in and they see the Astrodome, and it's like this big, you know, mirage on the horizon, like going through the desert. And this is the oasis. It's a nice scene. They finally see what they're going to be playing in two days. Oh, the. Yeah, so they roll up on the Houston Astrodome. They do. You get the you get like a big, uh, a powerful music intro to it. And I mean, honestly, you think of it. You saw you see the shots of it. Um, there is nothing else around. But you saw any of those old aerial shots of the Astrodome. It was meant to be like, oh my gosh, check this place out. There was nothing around it for as far as the eye could see. It, it was it was a magnificent place. I've never I've never been there. Fun fact. Yeah, you know what's happened is those Native American street tops have scared off all of the people because they own this territory. <laughs> so they, they've chased all the baseball teams off. <laughs> Again, I spent so much time as a little kid when you're a kid trying to put together, you know, during the summer, calling all your friends, all right, let's get 18 people together to play. All I needed to do was drive to El Paso. <laughs> they were waiting for you. They, they played baseball, too. They were waiting they play baseball too. So here we go. We're about to meet the Bears opponents in this big game in the Houston Astrodome. And I love these guys. Okay. These guys are called the Houston Toros. And in the first movie, the bad guys were the Yankees. They were just the rich kids. In this one, they're all Texas rednecks. And they have, they have, I still want one of their uniforms, but they have these beautiful uh, blue and yellow polyester 70s pullover uniforms. Every kid on the team looks like they're 24 years old and they're six foot three. So I mean, it's it's a team full of studs. I cannot get over the blue pants that these kids have on. So these kids, these Houston Toros, they have these yellow mesh uniform and these blue pants that look like sweatpants to me. It's a goofy, goofy uniform. They're awful. They're like they look like a 1970s pajama set. Yes, they do. And they, they are the most feared team in Houston. They walk around in pajamas. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> so, so what happens is the Houston Toros are at the field, and they have this coach, Maury Slater. We'll talk more about him later. And they're concerned that their opponents have not shown up yet. The Bears have not arrived because the Bears took too long playing the Native American team, apparently. <laughs> so they decide they're going to call in another team, this uh, El Paso team, to replace the Bears. So the Falcons, this, the El Paso Falcons. Yes. So they call in this backup team on the sly, and now now there's some drama in this movie. Are the Bears going to be allowed to play? Well, you know, if the, I, I haven't seen the official rule handbook, so maybe they have the right to replace them. 
And again, it must it, was that the holdup? The only time that held him up was just playing that baseball game with the Native American kids. So shame on him. Or Engelberg needing to take a poop. Is that where you're going? That's okay. what I was going to say. Yeah. It's either that or Engelberg's 10 dumps. There you go. <laughs> okay, so the Bears get to Houston. They check into this flop house hotel, which is like prostitutes and stuff. And I'm going to skip through this because I'm trying to keep this podcast under two hours. But I'm sorry, but it's the Hotel Concord. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to lose our sponsorship from the Hotel Concord, one of our sponsors. Yes. But they park their truck out in front in a no parking zone. They get towed. The cops come, and now all the s hits the fan because the cops realize these kids don't have a chaperone with them. But again, let's get to this first part where the cops come in and the lady behind the desk and like, who's that band belong to? A ball team. A ball team of what? Ball team of midgets. You know, I don't have no problem with the little people. We forgot that part. <laughs> I, I didn't really forget it so much as I skipped over it. <laughs> oh, come on. It's a good part of the movie. We have no parents in this movie. The kids' parents get no airtime, but we need to give a whole soliloquy to the sassy desk clerk at the hotel. Yeah. See, I mean, yeah, exactly. So this hotel, it's filled with its hookers, John's. Old, random old people and she didn't care she just she wasn't probably didn't even look up when they came to check in and just assume it was a ball team of midgets so anyway the cops come they're like who's your chaperone and the kids don't have one and kelly's like well he's not here and we find out later this is kelly's dad kelly is going to go run to get his father to bail the team out of trouble and this is where we get the entrance of one of my favorite characters in bad news bears history mike leak played by william devane in tight tight shorts and Kelly is going to show up at his dad's workplace and beg him to coach the team. So, yeah, so the cop shows up and he's just like, you know, who's your coach, blah, blah, blah. Kelly is like, oh, you mean our coach? Well, he's not here. Like you said, go get him. So so Kelly splits and everyone else is just like, holy shit, dude. He just – what a good move on Kelly. Like he just bailed on these kids. If I was Kelly, I would have gone to the – got a bus ticket and skipped town. But so he's like, okay, well, I'll go find him. So these kids don't know what's going on. And uh, Kelly decides to go show up where his dad works, which is played by, like I said, William Devane, fine actor. He doesn't move. He's like Peter Cetera. He doesn't move his effort lit, kind of talks like this a lot. <laughs> Just like Peter Cetera. Just like Peter Cetera. But um, so, yeah, so Kelly shows up there to uh, to, you know, see his dad and like, hey, I need a coach, blah, blah, blah. And Kel- Mike Leake's uh, girlfriend's not having it. Like, who's this kid? She doesn't even, oh, it's your kid? Oh, great. Let's go. Like, right then and there, his dad should have been like, hey, it's my kid. I haven't seen him for a bunch of years. Why are you being a, a rude pig? But, you know, he doesn't. He just flicks his cigarette and, and he decides to be the coach. Okay, I have two questions here. First off, A, how does Kelly know where his dad works, considering he hasn't seen him in eight years and is in a different state? And B, how does he know his dad's goddamn work schedule? <laughs> Now you just ruined this movie further. Kelly just shows up, and, that, and that's when Mike Leake is getting off work at the Texas Pipe Bending Company. It just all works out perfectly. Kelly gets there right then. So how did he know? Well, you, it, alimony checks or child support checks. That's only, I don't know if you could see where it's coming. You, know, it was, you, never saw, you never once in anything never saw Kelly Leake's mom, so I'm sure she was strung out or something on meth. Like, go get me cigarettes, Kelly. But – 
You know, who, you don't know. You know, the checks could have been coming. He could have seen the, the checks and knew where he was at. That's where I'm hoping I can go with that. Okay, so that's that's the big question. Although that does lead to a second question, which is unrelated to this. Why the hell does Kelly Leak play left field? Like, is this the only Little League team in history that takes the best player in the league and puts him in left field? No, you don't want him at shortstop. You don't want him at pitcher. Left field, out there. That's where you put the star athlete. No. Yeah, that that would never happen. Zero. Any outfield. Well, center field, yes, maybe. I remember, like, All-Stars Little League where there was a good guy that was playing center field. But the left fielder or right fielder, it was it was the coach's kid. He had no business out there. <laughs> okay, so let's skip through here. That Kelly, the dad comes back, Mr. Leak comes back, and bails the kids out of the hotel, tells the cop, hey, I'm with them, I'm their coach, and so all's good. And now we go to the first practice, the first time the Bears are going to practice together with their new coach. And guess what? It's not going to go well. Well, you no. Know, so, you know, the coach, Coach Leak shows up. He doesn't even really help. He's just going to sit there and read a newspaper. Rudy Stein's going to take a nap. And, and Kelly Leak's basically running running the practice. Yeah, it's all it's all Kelly. Yeah, it's all Kelly. And then it's Carmen deciding he's gonna. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it just becomes a melee, and they start fist fighting with each other. Yes, the first Bears practice ends with <laughs> Carmen not being able to pitch, and then Carmen beaning Tanner. Tanner singing "You Spazzy Wop," throwing a bat at him. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of anti-Italian slurs in this movie. I'm noticing now. And so the, Coach Leak has to break up the fight. The team has been fighting. Coach Leak breaks them up, takes them out for barbecue. I don't know how he can afford this barbecue, but he does. <laughs> it's a nice spread. I mean, barbecue, I don't know. I mean, in Texas, again, Texas in the 70s, barbecue might have been cheaper. But where I'm at nowadays, barbecue is an expensive meal if you go out and good barbecue. So, and he's probably on a fixed income with a spousal support and child support, and he's working at a crappy job. But, yeah, he's going to take – 10 kids out to barbecue. <laughs> yeah. And he, he bonds with the kids rather quickly. I don't know if you try to count the number of times in this movie that little Jose Aguilar is sitting on his lap with his arm around him. <laughs> they like, he like warms up to coach Mike Leake immediately to the point that they're hugging each other constantly. Well, he instantly knows all their names too. It pisses me off. There's zero chance. He knows any of these kids names that quick or, Come on, I'm on, or any, you know, he knows these kids' names instantly. No, no dice. Not, I'm not buying that one either. So you don't think that that uh, Kelly Leak comes from a savant who has a wonderful memory who can memorize everything? No. <laughs> he works at the pipe fitting, pipe bending company. <laughs> okay, so Mike Leak bonds with the kids and he bails them out, takes them to lunch, and now they all go out to the practice field. And this is where we find out that the Bears are not going to be allowed to play because, oh my God, the El Paso Falcons have come here. They're there, but um, let me let me point out um, to everyone out there, uh, you've got the guy who's sponsoring this whole baseball deal is Cy Orlansky from Budweiser Beer, who's uh, also played by a really great actor named Clifton James. Um, he was, in, I believe, in some James Bond flicks, and um, one of my favorite movies is called The Last Detail with uh, Jack Nicholson, and he has got a part in that movie. So just want to throw out some love to Clifton James. Yeah, I have some Clifton James trivia for people. Clifton James is this... If you've seen James Bond, he's in uh, Live and Let Die and The Man with a Golden Gun. He plays Sheriff J.W. Pepper, who many people say ruins those movies because he's this southern redneck hillbilly sheriff. And Clifton James yeah. would constantly, after that movie, be asked to play southern rednecks, like in this movie, where he always has the southern accent, the big Texas yep. hat. This is my favorite bit of trivia. As hated as Clifton James is for his southern redneck persona, 
He was actually not Southern. He was a trained stage actor from New York who had never been to the South before. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it even greater story. That There you go. He's a great actor. There you go. Yeah, he was. He was actually a really good actor who got typecast because of those dumb James Bond movies. Unbelievable. That's good trivia. So there you go. So the Bears show up and they talk to the sponsor. They're like, you know, we should play. We're the California champs. And the sponsor's all mad because he's like, I want these kids in the paper. These kids are out here for their little friend. This is a good story. So he kicks El Paso out and the coach of the Houston Toros, the bad guys, is mad. And this is where we get the first meeting between Mike Leake and Maury Slater, the coach of the Toros. And I have to say I love the scene because Mike Leake is a dick to him instantly. And he will remain a dick to him throughout the whole movie. Yeah, dude's total prick. He's already call, carrying Zyorlansky's beers. He's just like, here, Maury, you need a beer? He's already on a first name, Maury. Just real smug. Catch you at the dome, Maury. Smirking because he's got his arm around Zyorlansky. Mike Leake, the hero of the Bears, the coach, is just a straight-up a-hole to everybody. And I love that about him. Yep, even his own kid. So the Bears are going to get to play against these redneck kids from Houston. And now we get a scene that my brother and I just loved when we were kids where the Houston Toros meet the Bad News Bears for the first time over the fence and they start taunting them. <laughs> and Tanner's trying to jump over a little fence and they have to hold him back. Oh, it's gold. Uh, look at these guys. These, these stupid guys are chewing, spitting tobacco and Tanner's trying to jump over a fence. And then you get those two, the two chicks that have the hot struggle team. Okay, let's let's go through this scene beat by beat here, where the lead asshole on the Houston Toros, this redneck guy named Chip Roberts, walks over. <laughs> I love this. My brother and I used to quote this endlessly. I thought they were sending us bears, not pygmies. <laughs> <laughs> and Tanner looks at him, and Tanner's line is, why don't you just shut your cruddy mouth, you redneck ass? <laughs> and tries to run those little uh, the, the waist high fence. So they have to pull Tanner back from attacking the redneck, and this is yeah, just, it does not go well the first time the Toros meet the Bears. And again, the forgotten archetype in all sports movies, the redneck baseball team. <laughs> oh, in their pajamas. So the the first meeting did not go well, and then we find out the Bears are going to get put up in a fancy hotel, and Anheuser Busch is going to put them up. And now I think this is where we go to the Houston Hilton where they check in, right? Yes, the Houston Hilton, but you should go see this because it's uh is filmed at the uh, Pasadena Hilton. I have heard that, and that blows my mind. This this movie it, it messes with you that you think you're in Texas, but this whole scene in the hotel was filmed months later in California. Yeah, it was not filmed in Houston. It was the Pasadena. Um, there's no hotel with back then with the view of the Astrodome that Kelly had in his room. Yeah, that's just ugh. Just ruined my day when I read that story. And you can tell it's later because Jackie Earl Haley is now in his mid-50s. He has a wig. And, uh, yeah, it, as you can tell, it's definitely filmed. Everyone's a lot taller. Kelly Leak looks like he's a foot taller when they filmed this stuff. But, yeah, it was all filmed back in, in L.A. Okay, yeah, so the Bears overrunning this fancy hotel as they're checking in and fighting over the rooms. And Okay, now we go to the first day of practice where the Bears are actually going to practice with Coach Leak. And I actually really like this scene, even though I make fun of it. This is a very nice scene, the, the training montage. Yes, the training montage. Again, this is where I was getting out earlier, where like he magically already knows everyone's names, their 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 weaknesses, their strengths. Like he, he's like he's he's a savant. Now he's a he is a savant. I guess let's just go that route. 
Okay, yeah, and I have to point out the uh, storyline progression of the Bears here, where in the first movie, they sucked. They're the worst team ever. And then by the end of the first movie, Buttermaker has turned them into a competent star baseball team. And now, it's only a couple months later, and now they apparently suck again. Nobody can catch the ball. No one can throw the ball. No one can catch the ball. No one can hit the ball. They're, they're awful. They're awful. And in one day, one day, mind you, Mike Leake will turn them into a team that can knock off the Houston Toros. Again, Coach Leak, maybe he should have just – Kelly should have called him a lot sooner, it sounds like. I mean, this the, the, the prompts could have been – they could have flown to Houston. I, I'll, I'll stop. But, yeah, he's a great coach. He is. He, he does great. He's a better coach than Buttermaker. And, I, you know, God may strike me down for saying that. But Mike Leak is a better coach. And we'll get to that later in the game when he cheats incessantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are in Houston. Here we go. So the Bears are getting ready for the game, and they're practicing, and Coach Leak is solving all of their problems magically. And here we get a scene that I know has to be near and dear to your heart, where Ogilvy, the biggest spaz on the entire team, this big, tall, skinny guy with huge glasses, meets up with these two hot girls that run around with the Houston Toros and somehow seduces them like an international jewel thief. (laughs) Well, Ogilvy, I guess he is a walking bimbo. Uh which I did look up while we've been talking, and a bimbo is a foolish, stupid, or an ept person. And that comes up first. Yeah, that is not how I use that word. Yeah, that comes up first before an attractive but stupid young woman. Yeah, a foolish, stupid, or an ept person. Slang. So anyway, so Ogilvy, who's, again, had, during this movie, we haven't talked about his awesome jacket, which was a nice, like a coach's style with the lapels, orange button-up jacket, but was covered in um, sewn on um, of the seventies logos of baseball teams. So it's a great coat. But anyway, so Ogilvy, he, he's there to do some scouting reports, some analytics. Um, he wants to know some on base percentage. Um, he's the first analytic guy, Ogilvy. And of course the people who know the most about the Houston Toros are these two ring rat girls who hang out at the park and have followed around the team spill all the beans on the Houston Toros on what who's good who's not this even the guy like you said who goes to slide in and stops and throws himself but um but they have the hots for Ogilvy both of them and they were like oh how long are you going to be around or can we show you around they got their you know I guess it's a Texas thing in the 70s how they both have their hands on one side of their hips oh like (laughs) I love that I don't understand that but it's just I guess it's a 70s Texas thing and and they're like, ooh, and love. Like these two girls, <laughs> these two teenage girl ring rats were, were ready to tag team Ogilvy and take him around town. I mean, and he blew it. Yeah, they would not be bimbos, correct? Because they were not foolish. They were smart. They were smart. and But they were foolish in the fact that they were hanging around the Toros and they just instantly spilled all their secrets. Oh, yeah. my Again, my brother. Another quote my brother and I used to use all the time. That's Mick Fincher very fast. He stole 35 bases last season. That's Chip Roberts. He was MVP three years in a row. <laughs> but, yeah, the guy that's sliding in there, doesn't he, like, stop him before he slides? And, like, <laughs> yes. how, how dare you take digs at Mick Fincher, who's very fast? So Ogilvy gets all this info off these girls. Meanwhile, he turns down their advances. And again, they're hot girls. I don't know why they're going after Ogilvy unless he's like packing. I don't know what's going on, but they love Ogilvy. 
Yeah, because they weren't they weren't trying to steal Ogilvy's secrets. They flat out gave him the other team's secrets, never asked anything about the Bears, and they wanted to go out with him. He played them like a fiddle. He's like an international suave jewel thief. <laughs> Ogilvy strikes again. Okay, here we go. I love this scene. Ogilvy goes back to the coach. Now, Ogilvy... Now, theoretically, Ogilvy knows everything about baseball. All the lingo, all the stats, everything, right? That's how they present him in the movie. Yeah. He goes to Coach Leak, and Coach Leak says, how good are the Toros? And Ogilvy says, and this is a line that would not come out of anybody's mouth who knows anything about baseball, which is why I love this. Last year, they were undefeated, 18-0. to 0. No one would say 18-0. They would say 18-and-0, but not 18-to-0, which is the stupidest phrase. There's no way that comes out of Ogilvy's mouth. That has bugged me for 40 years. Yeah, someone would have spit soda in his face like uh, the principal in uh, Ferris Bueller's when he asked them what the score is. Who's winning? 18-to-0. <laughs> they were great. They scored more goals than everybody, Mr. Leak. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the scattering report. We learned that the Toros were 18-0 to 0 last year, and Mick Fincher is very fast. And Chip Roberts has won MVP three years in a row, even though if we look at the timeline, he should be 12 or 13. Yeah. They don't hand out MVP to a nine-year-old. <laughs> well, again, it's Texas, so they do things differently. I mean, look at this park they have. I have this beautiful stadium set up for all this Okay, so now we go to the fixing Carmen Ronzani scene where Carmen, our Italian greaseball pitcher, is caught between imitations. He can't throw the stri strikes because all he does is imitate famous pitchers. So Mike Leake has to go have a talking talking to with him. Yeah, Engelberg runs over. Coach Leake, he's stuck between his, what did he say, his catfish hunter and his Warren Spawn. And Coach Leake's just like, you know, just, just throw me the ball. Just throw me the ball. And then just magically, if you just play catch with Carmen Ronzani, he can you can throw a beautiful strike. That's how he fixes Carmen. Just throw me the ball. So Carmen throws him the ball, and he's magically fixed. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> he's got Mackie Sasser disease. Someone someone should have pulled Mackie Sasser aside and say, just throw me the ball. He's like, wow. Hey, hey, him, baby. And he fixes him. <laughs> okay. Now only... The only two people that know about this movie are you and I, and we might be the only two people who know who Mackie Sasser is. He was a guy, I'll explain that joke to people, he was this guy in baseball, he was a catcher, and he mysteriously developed a phobia where he could not throw the ball back to the pitcher because he was worried he would throw it over his head. And it became a phobia, it became mm -hmm. Mackie Sasser disease, he could not throw the ball, he had a mental block, it was just a normal throw, he couldn't do it. So Steve, Steve Sachs, Steve Sachs with the Dodgers too, played second base, happened to him too. Uh, Chuck Knobloch. They couldn't throw the ball to first base. Okay, so Coach Leak has fixed Carmen Ronzani, and the team is getting better. And now we're going to have the big blowout between Kelly Leak and his dad, Mike, where they start fighting over the fact that the dad left Kelly eight years ago. Well, it starts because Kelly's a dipshit, and he's sitting there smoking a cigarette while he's trying to, you know, hit some fly balls to people. So, that I mean, it's one thing that the Toros are chewing tobacco, but Kelly has no business smoking a cigarette and called him out on that. And just it all, all the open wounds from back in the days opens up, and, and Kelly's not having it. Okay, here we go. This will be a very challenging scene to talk about here. So <laughs> Kelly storms off the field after a fight with his dad, and he's running away. He doesn't like this setup with his dad coaching the team, and he runs into a group of Houston Toros hanging outside the field. And they're going to start taunting Kelly with the one thing that people from the South love to say about Californians. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to go that route. I don't, I'll don't. i say everything else but that. But, yeah, he comes up, ain't you Kelly Lake? 
Supposed to be pretty good, ain't you? Yeah. You're supposed to be hey, you're supposed to be pretty good, ain't you? Yeah, yeah. You hear about their coach? Now, now they got another, you know, f word on on the team. Blah blah blah. So yeah, it, it goes there. And and Kelly's not having it. Just move, get out of my way. But yeah, when he calls him and his dad the f word, and uh, he, they just start to. He tries to attack the guy, but you, you assume the Toro should have just kicked his ass. But they don't. They just kind of wrestle. They just wrestle around. I will. I will try to use euphemisms to get through the scene a little bit, just because I like the dialogue. So mm-hmm. now this is a very prevalent taunt of people of, of from California. I don't know if you knew this. If you're if you're from California, you go to the South, they immediately think you're gay. That's a very common. Because you're you're a blonde surfer boy or something like that. Yeah, you know, the surfer boy. The, I, I get it. Yeah. So that's a California. So that is the stereotype they're going out here that the kids like. All these, these California kids think they're hot shit because their names were in the paper. But all we know is they're a bunch of flaming Hollywood homosexuals would be the word. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, no, that's that's the going – I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian David Cross, but he's from outside of Atlanta. And and, and some of his gags were like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in a beer line. Like, oh, is this the line for this? I don't know. Where, you know, F word. It's, it's, it's that. Boom. Exactly how you put it. Yeah, they taunt Kelly for being a homosexual, and then one of them says, "Have you seen their coach? Now they got a big homosexual to go along with them little ones." And this is where Kelly tries to fight. It's this big moment. Kelly tries to fight, and he loses, and he runs off. And it's this very unintentionally funny scene where Kelly, Jackie Earl Haley, running off into the distance, despite the fact that he's not a good athlete and does not look athletic at all. No, but it's his. You know, they built it up. You know, they had some awesome setup of cameras on the back of a truck and they told him like you got to get into this like you know they probably told him to go into that dark place you know he's he's throwing his fist down in the air and he's tugging at his hat and and then boom 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 you know they start off with the the orchestra or the um, classical music and boom he just starts running i'm just gonna run brother i'm just gonna run until i die <laughs> some very deep themes in this movie that's super goofy <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. We, we kept saying how much the first one, oh, it's such a downer. You know, you laughed hysterically through it. There's some downer stuff in this, but the rest of the movie is so cheesy that you just laugh through it anyways. It, you know, it, just, it doesn't bother you. So we find out Kelly is very upset that his dad is in the picture, and there's a very intense scene here where Kelly and his dad have it out in a pool hall. And it's interesting because this, this scene does not really fit the rest of the movie. It's, like, too good. <laughs> no. Where how did his dad know he was at this random bar? Well, they see they're like uh, Luke and Vader. They just know each other's presence. If one of them's nearby, they can just find them. He just assumed he's like, oh, my kid's a a degenerate. He'll be at this bar playing pool. This twelve year old. If only uh, Coach Manning had explained to him that assume was a bad idea and drawn out on the chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, there's a pool hall where Kelly's shooting pool, and the coach comes and says, "So that's it, you're quitting the team." And again, I, I'm I'm not going to go too much into this, but this is probably the best dramatic scene in the movie where Jackie Earl Haley and William Devane do some good acting, and they talk about you know the fact that the dad left the family when Kelly was five. He left him a bicycle. Yeah, he goes, he, and you know he's like, "Hey, man, goes Kelly Lee goes, you know you left me this blue bicycle when you left, and because you." You left, you thought this would be it. You know, I would accept you being gone, but you were wrong. I still have that bicycle. It's never been, it's still sitting down there in the basement, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's a real tough scene. And so, I, I never, my parents didn't, you know, split when I was a little kid or anything like that or, you know, this type of stuff. Or my dad 
left town or anything, so I don't know how that goes. But like you said, it's a pretty dramatic scene. It was probably the most dramatic scene this and uh, uh, Tanner watching the Newt Rockney movie. Yeah, see, at my family, we had no dr- drama like that either. Although, again, my mom did leave me at the mall with my name on my shirt. So <laughs> we had yeah, some trust issues after that. <laughs> but other than that we were good but yeah this is a very dramatic scene that kelly's mad that his dad abandoned him when he was five he never accepted the deal and it's now the question will kelly show up for the big game and again but you do get kelly i'm sorry to cut you off mario but you then you do get uh right when that scene ends you get kelly though it's a really beautiful shot with the sun going down where he's standing out in front of the, the astrodome peering off into into the space yeah again this movie is actually fairly moving it will it will draw you in <laughs> And it's the music. It's, a lot of it is the music in this movie. Okay, so here we are. We are to the big game in the Astrodome, the Bears against the Houston Toros. We're finally, We're finally there. I have so much to say about this scene. This is one of the most wonderfully bizarre scenes in movie oh. history because it makes no sense, and everything is, everything is out of order. Okay, so here we go. So let, let, Let's just let's, – you know, I know we've been talking a long time. There, there's a lot that goes on in this scene, but – I think we can just let people know, a lot of people that don't know baseball or this and that, but you and I do. The game itself is completely out of sequence. Batting order is completely out of sequence. The scoring, how the scores, how the game ends is didn't have to happen that way. It's really a bad how they built the baseball game. So let's just, let's just, can we just leave it at that, that, that we can just push that to the side, how poorly it doesn't make any sense. I would like to leave it at that, but you're actually wrong a little bit of it, and I'll explain when we get there. I figured I figured out what happened in the movie, why it's goofy. Okay, so here we go. So we go to the locker room, and they're in there in the Astrodome, and the Tanner's like, okay, we're going to win one for the Looper, and they're like, yeah, and then Kelly shows up, and they're like, yeah. And so everybody runs out on the field, and then this is the real Houston Astrodome, which so at awesome. the time yeah, was a big deal. This was called the Eighth Wonder of the World. It was like a less good kingdom, I think they used to call it, right? I got to go um, when I was a little kid in the kingdom. It was like some Mariners, you know, come on the field days, like 1984, 85. And you just got to go on the field and meet like Alvin Davis and Jim Presley or something. And just the difference of, you know, either sitting in the stands and being able to step foot onto a major league field, it's it's a trip. And and the, the Houston Astro was in another dimension back then. It was when it was built. So I'm I'm sure even just the actors themselves, these kids, we're super stoked to be in there. Any kid who grew up playing baseball would have watched this scene with just reverence. Like, oh, my God, little kids playing in the Astrodome, which, again, was the first mm-hmm. indoor baseball field in the world, or at least in the U.S. I don't know if they had them in Japan yet. but And they had their own AstroTurf. They developed their own turf. Because when the stadium first opened, it was real grass, and it died, and they tried with windows up on the ceilings and stuff. So, yeah, then they created the AstroTurf. Yeah, if people have ever heard that term, AstroTurf, that's what that means. This is the synthetic turf was designed in Houston for the first indoor stadium. So that's AstroTurf. Okay, so the kids are all out there, and they run out on the on the, on the field, and, you know, they have to play a short field, short version of the field here. Here we go. So I'm going to explain what happens in this movie, and I did not catch it until recently, why it's out of sync. Okay. If you look, there's one scene right at the top of the, the first inning where uh, Mick Fincher slides into second. Mick Fincher's very fast, and he slides into second, and he knocks Tanner over. And while they're focusing on Tanner recovering from his injury, you can see the lineups for the two teams on the scoreboard in the background. And they're, they're accurate. They are accurate. That is the lineup the Bears follow for the first two innings. 
It goes Tanner, Ahmad, Engelberg, Kelly, Feldman, Toby, Miguel, Jose, and Carmen. And then Stein and Ogilvy are on the bench. But that is the lineup they follow. But what happens is after the delay, Mike Leake changes the order around. <laughs> they start batting out of sequence. <laughs> so Mike Leake is yet again cheated during this he game. He cheats, yeah. Okay, so first off about this game, why are the Houston Toros the visiting team? Exactly. They are obviously the home team, and they're leading off this game. Yeah, there's no reason for the Toros to be up first. This is their home stadium. So so the, the Toros come up with the first thing. Again, this is a four-inning game, and I'm going to be very meticulous because this is like the Zapruder film to me. I go over every frame of this goddamn movie because I know it so well. So the Toros come up first, and their first batter is a guy named Leon Watterson, who fucking sucks. He's the worst. He strikes out on a pitch over his head. Over his head, over his head. That kid should not have, I mean, if this was an all-star team of the best of the best of Houston, the way that kid swung, he was not going to be on it. Come on, I've watched enough Little League World Series that that kid's not on any team. <laughs> the, or leading off. Houston champions, yeah, the leadoff hitter cannot, he has no idea what to do with the bat. It's ridiculous. Against Carmen Ronzani, who the day prior didn't even know how to pitch. Well, he fooled him with the Warren Spawn windup. <laughs> so. no. Well, the next up, what do we have? We got Chip Roberts. No, next up is a kid who lines out to Tanner. Although, if you look close, the batter hits the ball and it goes down, but then they immediately it goes cut, down to the right. Yeah, and then, then they immediately cut to Tanner catching a line drive, which is not where that ball went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're ruining this movie. This is why I should have been on debt. I know. Again, this, this is a Pruder film. I know every frame of this scene. Oh. So, okay, so third up is Mick Fincher, very fast. And what I love about Mick is, A, why is the very fast leadoff hitter hitting third? And, B, if you listen, the coach of the Toros calls him Mac. Let's go Mac. So the coach screws up his kid's name. Yeah, so Mick Fincher, very fast, singles. Then he steals second, and he knocks over Tanner, and all the kids taunt Tanner because they, help, we didn't hurt the baby bear. (laughs) Help, we don't hurt the baby bear. That's another one of my wife's favorite lines. She's got, wow. I think my wife has more favorite lines in this movie than I do. You married well, Dan Fields. I, I, I married well. <laughs> and then Chip Roberts comes up, the hillbilly redneck, and hits the two-run homer. Choking up. That fool was choking up <laughs> against Carmen Ronzani. Let's not forget that. And let's not forget the guy should have been fucking leveled at home plate for his little fucking moonwalk forward moonwalk <laughs> and dance that he does. Like, he's... Frank Drebin and police squad at the Mariner Angel game. <laughs> Chip Roberts, the MVP, three years in a row, hits the home run. And three years in a row. Yeah, he does the little moonwalk over home play, which is, is frowned upon in baseball. You do not showboat the pitcher, but Chip Roberts plays by his own rules. He's the catcher. He's chewing tobacco. He calls people the F word. Yeah, all, no, no rules for Chip Roberts. Okay, but I will say my brother and I love Chip Roberts as kids because he taunts all the Bears batters when they come up, and it's very funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and he shits on Engelberg, like, oh, yeah, oh, all the stuff, like, oh, it was like one of the Marx brothers. Okay, here we go. We'll walk through this. Okay, so the leadoff hitter for the Bears is Tanner, which does match the scoreboard. Tanner is the leadoff hitter. And what is Chip's taunt of Tanner? Do you remember this one? Oh, God, no, I don't. I'm sorry. Okay, I only know because my brother and I used to say this incessantly. Hey, give him a toothpick. Aim him a shoelaces. Tanner's like, better shut up, you redneck dumbass. Yeah, yeah, he pokes, yeah, he pokes him with the bat. Yeah, 
You shut your mouth, redneck, dumbass, and he pokes him with the bat. <laughs> so Tanner goes down, Ahmad goes down, and then Engelberg goes down. One, two, three. So the Bears go down. <laughs> Although this is where Chip taunts the fat kid Engelberg. He's like, look here, got a big enough target. I, I do like the Houston Toros pitcher when they show him doing that, like, spitting tobacco face. Do you remember his name? That would be Ed Simpson. Ed Simpson, yes, Ed Simpson. And he's got the horrible face with the chewing tobacco face. <laughs> and if you listen, again, I'm totally nerding out here. There's several scenes that my brother and I would always quote this. There's one kid in the background yelling at Ed Simpson to strike out the batters. He's like, come on, Simp, strike him out. <laughs> Oh, I like, too, when uh, Tanner's, when Engelberg's running it with a pop out, he's, run, you lard ass, run, you big lard ass. <laughs> okay, so after one inning, the Toros are up two to nothing. Two to nothing, yes. Here we go to the top of the second, and we don't really follow the Toros. All we know, there's a walk, a single, another home run, and it's five nothing. Although, this, I love this, this, this. So many things in this movie don't really match up with how the real world works. This kid hits a home run, a three-run home run over the wall, and he sprints as fast as he can around the bases, which is not what you do on a home run. No, he, oh, yeah, yeah, the kid, and he's, he's a lot, and he's a slob of a runner, too. He's kind of a fat kid. <laughs> Another kid that had no business on this team. Now, so the fat kid hits the home run for Houston, and the other thing I love about this movie is half the kids in this game are using wood bats. Nobody, nobody. I never knew anybody as a kid who would use a wood bat if you could use an aluminum or a wood, and they're choosing wood. No, no, that, and also, too, there was, uh, I don't know where it was. I was reading this morning, too. There's one scene where one of the kids, he's using a wood bat, and then it flashes a scene, and he's got an aluminum bat in his hand. I don't know where it's at, but I was reading that. I hate that I know that that's Toby in the third or fourth inning. There you go. Okay, there you go. So Thank you. the Toros are up five to nothing, and the fireworks are going off in the Astrodome. They used to have these fireworks on the screen. It was a big deal. And mm -hmm. Kelly and Tanner's throwing a little temper tantrum. What, what is this, a baseball game or the 4th of July? <laughs> okay, so now we come to the bottom of the second. Again, this is only a four-inning game. We're halfway through the game. Kelly Leak leads off and doubles. And again, we're still following the Bears' batting order. Kelly doubles. Feldman comes up, and the guy says, come on, we got one of the Marx brothers up here. Do you know the joke there of that, that joke right there? He's actually uh, a relative of the Marx brothers. He's like, what his, like, what is his, his dad or his grandpa was one of the, one of the Marx brothers, but wasn't Marx brother actors, like one of the other brothers' yeah. kids? Yeah, the actor that plays Jimmy Feldman is Brett Marx, who is related to one of the Marx brothers. And so they literally throw in a joke in the movie that he looks like one of the Marx brothers, which is a very smart <laughs> joke for this movie. Because he looks like a Marx brother. Well, you know, Chip Roberts, he's very witty. Chip Roberts looks like a Marx brother. <laughs> he does. Okay, so Kelly's on second. Toby singles. We have runners on first and third. And this is one of the shots, the scenes that I love making fun of in this movie. Miguel, the little Mexican kid, flies out to left, and Coach Leak says, run, Kelly, run, go to a sack, tag up, and score. Why don't you explain this slide that Kelly Leak does at home plate? He runs, he stops, and then, like, throws himself forward like he's jumping off a diving board. Like, he did not know what he was doing. It was it was not Pete Rose at all. Yeah, it's not. It's a very, it's a 
not a very well-kept secret that Jackie Earl Haley was not a good athlete. They had to double him in the original Bad News Bears with kids that knew how to play baseball. And this one, they try to let him do his own stunts a little more. And he is not athletic at all. And this slide, he has to run, and he's supposed to slide headfirst into home. And normally, you don't lose your momentum. As you're sliding headfirst, you just run and then kind of tip over at the end and just dive headfirst. It's like all in one motion. Yeah, you just kind of throw yourself. Yeah, he, he just stops. stops and... <laughs> he runs home, stops, plants, and then falls forward like he's like a diver. And guess what happened? He's out. Chip Roberts tags him out. So after two innings, it's five to nothing Toros. And, and so far, it's still a legit game, but it's going to get very not legit very quickly. Very quickly. All right. So here we go. This is the big money shot, the big scene in the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. We're about to get it. Why don't you explain to people the glory of the let them play scene? Wow. You're letting me have this. Cool. Um, so... You, the, the Toros come up to bat, and you get this guy in a suit, nice slick back 70s hair, comes up, hey, hey we got to call this game. Like, you know, we're running out of time. Um, we got to get the Astros out here. We, the t- we ran out of time is basically what happened. So they're not having it, and they get the kids off the field. Tanner's not budging. And this has starts um, when we get to let them play. I know I'm jumping myself, but. This happened years later at the Major League Baseball All-Star game where it went into extra innings and they decided to cancel the game and they started a let me play chant. I know I'm jumping ahead, but (laughs) this is uh, Tanner Boyle out on the field where these two security guards are chasing him around the field and trying to catch him. And it's it's some of the best stuff you'll ever see. Hopefully it, it caused a lot of other people wanting to jump onto the field and run around Major League Baseball fields. Hopefully this is what started it. But it's a wonderful scene. You get actual Major League Baseball players. Yeah, let me explain that. Let me explain that. I think, okay, for people who have not seen this movie, the the officials shut down the game. They were supposed to be a four-inning game. They stopped it after two. They tell the Bears to get off the field. We got a real, the real Astros are coming onto the field. So all the Bears filter off. They're kind of mad because the game's not over yet. Tanner will not leave the field. Tanner stands out there and is all defiant. And we get the actual Houston Astros from 1977 walk into the dugout, and they all get cameos. And these names, oh, won't, awesome. yeah, these names won't mean a lot to most people, but like you got Bob Watson, you got J.R. Richards, Cesar Cedeno, I think, uh, who else is in there? Enos Cabell's probably in there. Uh, Enos Cabell, Enos Cabell gets some spots. Uh, I want to say Ken Forsh gets us, he uh, doesn't speak, but you get to see Ken Forsh. Um, but yeah, I was, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie too. It was like, oh my God, these little kids are with major league baseball players in the dugout. How awesome is this? And one of the Astros players is watching, and he's hearing all these bears telling, you know, they, they promised us four innings, they only gave us two, and the Astros are kind of dumbfounded, like, well, who's not letting little kids play baseball? And I love this scene. Yeah. Bob Watson, very famous baseball player, says, hey, come on, let the kids play. And the coach hears this. Coach Leak's like, hey, that's a good idea. He starts to chant, let them play, let them play, and he runs out of the field. And I love that it takes him, like, a good 30 seconds before any idiot in the crowd realizes they're supposed to chant too. Yeah. There, well, a little known fact for the people out there too. There's some scenes where you can see some fans. There's some scenes where you can see some empty spots, but a lot of them were just cardboard cutouts that they just moved around <laughs> of, of people. But, um, but yeah, you even got the police, uh, police dude was involved. Uh, Cy Arlansky, he's got his, his program rolled up screaming, let them play. 
great scene in, in, in movie history right yeah. there. As goofy as this movie is, this is a, and I've heard this phrase, I know Bill Simmons came up with this, the a chill scene. It gives you chills because it's so yeah. cool. This is a legitimate chill scene where everyone in the, ch- in the stadium is chanting, let them play. And all the kids are just looking around, looking at all these people that are supporting them. And it's just a really cool moment. It's like one of the most iconic scenes I can think of in a sports movie. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. And again, if you if people YouTube Bad News Bears let them play and they hear it, there's got to be enough people that, you know, even if they weren't a baseball fan, if they're a sports fan, they'll hear it and they're like, wait a minute, I've heard this before. All right, let me let me point out a little bit of irony here. I always love to point out that the the guy who starts the let them chant, the let them play chant is Bob Watson, who later went on to become the head of baseball discipline committee, if I recall. Mm-hmm. So I should point out that the future head of baseball discipline is the one who encouraged the chant, the crowd to start a chant and a riot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, so this let them play chant goes on for a while, and Tanner's running around trying not to get tackled by the old people, and finally the scoreboard says, play ball! Play ball. Well, they they also have the hands clapping on the Jumbotron shoe. It's like, let them play, let them play. They were all, I mean, they were all in. And those hands are not even close to the beat. <laughs> They're terrible. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you If you want a fun thing in this movie, look at how many side characters and side actors need clapping lessons. So many people can't clap in this movie, all the way back to the start of the movie. And I'm just going to blow your mind with how, how specific this is, where Kelly is chasing Coach Manning off the field with his motorcycle. Yes. Watch Toby Whitewood, who has no idea how to fucking clap. <laughs> he's clapping with, like, the palms of his hands. They're, he's not even clapping correctly. It's stupid. <laughs> I, just, I just snorted. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that I look for when I watch movies. Toby cannot clap. That kid needs clapping lessons. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so good. Okay, so here we go. We're back to the game, and now we go to the top of the third inning, and the Bears get the Toros out, and so we're to the bottom of the third inning. Again, this is a four-inning game. This is where the goofiness starts. And I will point out, the leadoff hitter in the third inning is Ahmad. If you look at the Bears lineup, Ahmad is the number two hitter. The last batter on the flyout where Kelly got doubled up at home was Miguel, who was the number seven hitter. We just skipped I, I was just looking. I was just. I, I'm sorry. I was just looking at a picture. I have a picture of the, the lineup, and you're correct. Ahmad was on the number two slot, number two hole. Yeah, they skipped three batters, and I, I have. <laughs> now it's possible that Mike Leak just said fuck it. I'm just going to send the top of the order up and see if anybody notices. I think there's a continuity problem in this movie, and I'm going to. This will actually change the way you watch this movie. I think. I think there was a mysterious third inning in the middle there that they cut out. They just cut it out. Because it would have been three batters, and this is why I say that. If you watch the scene, this is like, like I said, this is a pruder to me. I know every little frame. Where Ahmad tells Cesar Cedeno and Bob Watson, they were supposed to let us have four innings, but they only gave us two. Look at his lips. He says three. He says three. I think there was a third inning in here that they cut out. They cut out for time? Yeah, I think so. And that's why those three batters are mysteriously disappeared, because Ahmad probably would have been the leadoff hitter in the fourth inning. Well, they, I, I just flashed it up. I, I'm flipping through the, the screen here. It does show a third inning with two runs at the bottom there of the third. There you go. Third. Well, yeah, we're going to score two here in the bottom of the I – mean, we're going to score two, but they haven't scored yet. I don't know. I, I know it's goofy, but that's, I think, where the lineup – Go back and look because I swear – I was looking at it a little bit ago. They were they show the the um, the screen in the background at the Astrodome, and it shows a third inning score with two at the bottom. Okay, so it's possible they canceled the game after the third inning. 
I think they should cancel us because now I'm so mad at this. Now you're thinking that I think that there's a missing scene. Again, Criterion Collection, <laughs> Director's Cut. And I can guarantee there's no other Bad News Bears and Breaking Training podcast. I mean, that's a sentence right there. There's no other Bad News Bears and Breaking Training podcast, but there's no other one that goes into the specifics that this one will. Hopefully. We could do another. But what let's we let's not us forget though too um, with Ahmad Abdul Rahim what what does he say when he uh, gets that hit Ahmad comes up to play so you can't have a black kid in the character without him doing black things the, earlier in the movie he's mad they're going to go to the joint and then at one point he's teaching the kids how to yeah. hit hip hop dance or disco dance and now he has to quote Muhammad Ali where Ahmad comes up and he says I feel good and then he hits a triple and he says oh no no so let me let me cut you off because I feel good. And then he misses again. I feel better than ever. Better back up, sucker. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. So, yeah, he says he hits a triple. He says, I flow like a butterfly. I sting like a bee. I rounded second, and I'm standing on three. <laughs> and then he and Rudy Stein give the most awkward high five I've ever seen, where Rudy, like, makes his knees wiggle. <laughs> it was the double uh, double uh, high five hand slap that and uh, – yeah, it was bad. <laughs> okay, so to summarize, this inning, the third inning, Ahmad triples, Engelberg pops out, and then Kelly, who's batting for the second time, it's a two-run homer, and we skip the rest of the inning. So after three innings, it's five to two Toros. Correct. Okay, here we go, the last inning. This is where all the magic happens in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Leak is just going to oh, absolutely mess with the lineup in this one. Yeah, okay. it's awful. Top of the fourth, Leon Watterson, the terrible leadoff hitter of the Toros, comes up again and again is absolutely overmatched by Carmen Ronzani. Can, can I just say, have, have you, I, I don't want to say this, but if you hear the name Leon Watterson, do you think of a white hillbilly kid from Texas? <laughs> yes, that's the first name I think of. <laughs> I'm thinking Harlem Globetrotters. I'm sorry. Leon Watterson gets out and he's terrible, and the coach is mad at him. Like, come on, somebody hit the ball. I'm like, you're the one who put that spaz as your leadoff hitter, you moron. Yeah, exactly. You spazzy wop. You put the Mori Mori here. Yeah, dude. That's the worst leadoff hitter in the history of leadoff. It's awful. Here we go. This is the last batter of the game. There's two outs in the top of the fourth, and Mick Fincher, very fast, comes up. And he singles. And and this is where Ogilvy goes over to Coach Leak. He says, Fincher's on first again. And this is where Coach Mike Leak is going to call the famous hidden ball trick. Fun fact in Little League, and I'm sure it's because of this movie, I got two people out in uh, sixth grade Little League um, uh, last year in Little League. Um, one of them was a really good friend, and he was pissed at me for years. But we did not break the rules. My, the pitcher was never on the rubber. We just made a rule. For, you walk a guy, my catcher would throw the ball down. I played first base. Catcher would throw the ball down to me because we always knew that there were so many idiots that played literally one, a bound one of them was going to come down there and just wander off the base and we could just tag him out. That sounds like a Leon Watterson move. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's legit. That's a legit hidden ball trick. The hidden ball trick in this movie is not legit at all. It's a total balk. <laughs> it's a it's a balk. It's Mike Leak cheating. 
It's it's cheating in Houston. Yeah, that's the thing we were joking earlier that this. If I, I try not to date these podcasts, but we're recording this episode right after the Houston Astros of Major League Baseball were just caught cheating and using uh, cameras to steal signs and for years. Yeah, tip people off. They bang a garbage can to tip off anybody with the pitch. So, and it's funny because if you listen in this movie when Ranzon he's pitching, you can hear the Houston Toros banging a, a garbage can. So it actually even in the seventies they knew. <laughs> This is going to be his catfish hunter. Bang, bang, like eight bangs for the dipsy doodle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so good. Okay, so there's the hidden ball trick. I'll explain this to people. So Mick Fincher, very fast, leads off of first base. Although, if this is 12-year-old baseball, kids aren't allowed to lead off. <laughs> They're not allowed. You're not allowed. Yeah, none of this would have worked. Yeah, you're not allowed to lead off. On, you lead off, you're halfway to second. He's leading off at first. Carmen, the pitcher, walks back on the mound, pretends that he's about to pitch the ball, and when the lead the runner leads off, Toby, the first baseman, just reaches out and tags him, which is awesome in the movie. It's a great moment. 100% illegal because Carmen could not stand on the rubber without the ball, and I know that because I got busted for that as a kid a couple times trying to emulate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> See, we got away with it <laughs> twice. Only, only twice. We tried it every time there was a walk. We got it twice. I would play first base and try to get my pitcher to do the hidden ball trick, and the ump's like, "That's a balk." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, let me guess. You saw the bad news bears in breaking training." <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> he read the novel. So the hidden ball trick gets the last runner, and Maury, the coach of the Toros, is absolutely furious, starts screaming that that's bullshit. He says this is California homosexual crap, that one might say. He starts screaming that word again. But Did he? He's, yeah, yeah, he's like, that's some California bleeping crap. And he goes like, rats of frats. Wow, I don't remember. I, okay. He, he basically does a rats of frats. Rats of frats, a cotton pick in California bleeping crap. <laughs> Okay, so that is the Mike Leak cheating. Here we go. Bottom of the fourth inning, the last inning of the game. Bears are down by three. As you point out, Toby leads off the inning, and Toby was a legit batter. He would have been up soon. And then Ogilvy comes up, and he pinches it, whatever. All of a sudden, Kelly Leak pops up again. We literally skip seven batters in the lineup just so Kelly can bat again. <laughs> well. Let's not ruin the movie. <laughs> that's not ruining it. That's making it awesome. Mike Leake is cheating. You know what? Ru you know what ruins the movie is is the California Bears wearing red helmets in this game. Well, everybody had a red helmet back then. That's the only color you had. Yeah, the Houston Toros, though, even their coaching staff had awesome, dope warm ups like head to toe royal blue zip up, poly warm ups. Coach Leake only had uh, bell bottom corduroys with his <laughs> package emulating well, you know th those helmets are the best that poor lester eastland could do on his groundkeeper salary <laughs> <laughs> there you go okay so okay so the bottom of the fourth toby singles ogilvy grounds out kelly for some reason comes up again and even our, our, our notes i wrote what the fuck there's no reason kelly should be up and this is like uh, chip roberts like no. come on supposed to be the home run king <laughs> and kelly singles okay so we have runners on first and second with one out and here comes a scene that I love. Little Jose Aguilar. Oh, he waves to the crowd. He waves. The cutest little kid who's never seen any action in any movie up to any point shows up and he waves to the crowd and he gives a little mantra. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. And Coach Lee calls him handsome, too. Come on, handsome. And, and, my, and Dan, what happens to poor Jose Aguilar in his big moment that he's going to hit it and surprise the crowd? That he strikes out. 
he fucking strikes out. Three pitches, doesn't he? And he sw- he swings like in slow motion. Like, huh. I, you know what? I'm sorry. I just stood up to do that. <laughs> I, just, I stood up to swing real horribly. Awful. Whoever wrote this movie hates the big looper, hates Timmy Lupus. They wrote him out of the movie and they broke his legs. Yeah. And they hated Jose Aguilar even more. You give him one scene and make him go down like a bitch. Dude, at least let the kid have like a dope butt single or something. They could have given him something really good. Hey, he strikes out and the crowd's like, oh. Well, you know what? That's what happens when you show up with $2. Yeah, so Ed Simpson. I hope you're proud of yourself, Ed Simpson, for striking out Jose Aguilar, who's two feet tall. Yeah, with his stupid face, with his stupid face that he makes. I hate that face that kid makes. Is it, is it because he's chewing tobacco, or he just has a stupid face? I think he just has a stupid face. <laughs> Straight up. Okay. At least from Texas. Okay, so here we go. Rudy Stein comes up to bat, and in a in a nice callback to the first movie, he gets hit by a pitch. Now, Buttermaker didn't call it this time. He just gets hit legit. Yeah, he just got hit. So the, the bases are loaded. The Bears now have two outs, the winning run at the plate, the tying runs on base. A grand slam home run will win the game. And of all people, Dan Fields, who gets to be the gladiator hero for the Bears? Who do the screenwriter decide gets to get the winning hit? Uh, the stupid WAP. <laughs> yes. The guy who wasn't even on the team at the start of the movie. Now, well, he's a superstar because before he came up to bat, he was he was like Shoeless Joe Jackson. He was swinging around like 30 bats for the extra weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no donut for that guy. Just give me 15 bats to swing around. 10 bats. And then he dumps all the aluminum ones for the inferior wood bat <laughs> because that's how they do it back east. <laughs> no one does that heavy wood bat action back east man <laughs> but I, I always laugh at that why whoever wrote the screenplay thought Carmen Ronzani needs to get the winning hit you have Toby you have Tanner you have Engelberg anybody I mean okay Engelberg's not going to make it around the bases no one like Carmen give it to one of your heroes <laughs> why Carmen why does he get the glory shot <sighs> Uh, he's a Bayo. It was written into his contract. <laughs> so Jimmy Bayo comes up, and he gets like a one ball, no strike, and the crowd's chanting, we want a hit, because they're rooting against the hometown Toros, of course. And we want a hit. And then, of, of all things, Carmen Ronzani, the greaseball wop, <laughs> drives one <laughs> into the gap. <laughs> And we get the stupidest inside-the-park homer ever. There's at least seven errors on this play. <laughs> And then the ball, like, went right behind the fake second base. Like, like there's like, no way. The ball, the ball should have been, like, rolling down the tunnel into the clubhouse. Xyra Lansky ends up with the ball at one point in his hat. Like, it's crazy. And so we get this wonderful shot of all the Bears clearing the bases ahead of Jimmy Bayo, who is an even worse runner than Jackie Earl Haley. He turns his head side to side when he runs. He's the worst athlete. <laughs> He's awful. He reminds me of a kid on a little league team that showed up in cowboy boots. Like, it's awful. So, Carmen Ranzani circles the bases in this little league home run where the best team in Houston cannot throw the ball to anybody. Carmen slides in safe. It's a big, like, callback to the first movie, only this time he's safe, and the Bears win. And it is a legitimately exciting ending, and you're, it's like, it pumps you up. It's well done. But it's like, man, there's a lot of goofy stuff in that final hit. 
there's a lot of goofy stuff in that whole game that makes zero sense. But you know what? Hey, the Bears win. That gives them the opportunity to go play in Japan. I don't know what happens. All I know is this gives them the opportunity to go to Japan. <laughs> they are now entered into a drawing of teams that might get allowed to play in Japan. <laughs> now, speaking of a horrible movie, if we decide that you want to do a, uh, a three-peat, a third movie of a trilogy, then we could really talk about how awful Bad News Bears Go to Japan is. Okay, sum up this movie. The Bears win. They go off. They go back to California. There's a montage of them living life again and saying hi to Lester Eastland, who apparently holds no grudge. He loves them. <laughs> no grudges. He waves. He smiles. Uh, yeah, Lester is cool with the whole thing. Hey, I'm, hey, it's the guys who gave me weed and beer. <laughs> They're back. That guy's got short-term memory issues. He has no idea, no memory of them ditching him and humiliating him and laughing. <laughs> He's no. like, hey, it's Kelly Leak. I love that guy. <laughs> One last chance to make fun of a special needs guy in this movie in 1977. So that's the end of the movie, and the Bears win, and it's all happy. And I will say, as Dan alluded to, there is a third movie in this series, The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. It might be the single worst movie I have ever seen in my life, and I'm not saying that in a fun, bad way. It's just terrible and not interesting at all. It's an awful movie. I do own it on DVD, and I do have the DVD signed by uh, Tony Curtis. You should have just asked him to take a dump on it. <laughs> yeah, he probably wanted to. It, but you know what? We can get into that when we talk about it on the next podcast. I mean, you do have a Japanese wrestling legend in that movie. Like, again, you get Tony Curtis. There's some big names. Um, Ahmad Abdul Rahim's little brother in the movie is hilarious. He sits under a table and eats a big old roll. Um, <laughs> there, there is a few, there's some few funny things. Um, a 60 year old Kelly Leak. Um, Chasing a poor Japanese girl around Japan is pretty frightening. I will say a couple of years ago, they put out the Bad News Bears box set. And again, the Bad News Bears, my all-time favorite movie. Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, the movie I've seen more than any other. I bought this box set of all three movies. My first move was to take out the Bad News Bears in Japan and throw it into the trash. <laughs> That's how much I hate that movie. I don't even want to own it. I don't even want it on my shelf. You can throw away the one with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Throw that in the <laughs> trash. But you at least have, you got to support Jackie Earl Haley. And that's a, that's a, one thing I will say with this movie is over the years I still have supported Jackie Earl Haley. Movies like The Zoo Gang, Losing It, um, when he was up for an Academy Award for li Little Children. So I, I have supported Jackie Earl Haley over the years. Uh, I never have met the guy. I've seen him. He's been doing a couple of comic cons back east, and I've thought about flying to New Jersey to meet the guy. And but yeah, I'll support. I'll, I'm going to keep supporting Jeh. In all fairness, he is the one. He is the best actor in this movie, probably. Him and William Devane, and I guess like Clifton James. Those guys sell their characters. So you can buy around the goofiness in the rest of this movie. Those three are the glue that held it together. So again, anything I say about the goofiness in this movie, Jackie Earl Haley was a very solid actor for his era, and he unfortunately, I think, ran into a problem. He just always looked young, and he was short. So he, you couldn't really play Yeah, he, he was typecasted. He was typecasted, like Breaking Away. Phenomenal movie, Breaking Away. If you haven't seen that, I'm sure you have the bicycle movie. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie, but uh, yeah, I try and support him. But yeah, besides Clifton James, William Devane, most of these guys, it was just what they did in these movies. But I'm, I'm sure those kids all had a great time doing this stuff. Yep. And of course, the legend, Jimmy Bayo, steals every scene he's in, <laughs> overacting, just a weird goofball. And for some inexplicable reason, he is given the game winning hit, despite the fact we have never seen him swing a bat at any point in this movie. 
and he does not make it to the Japan trip. Is, is that not and that again? We can get that into the next podcast, but I don't think that's ever explained. Why is uh, Carmen Ronzani not on the team? Did he have to move back east? That's the irony. See, Japan's even more east. So yeah. was the action not that heavy in Japan? Did he only go halfway east? Yeah, he only made it to L.A. <laughs> or Houston, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that is our coverage of the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, a goofy uh, time capsule of the late 70s that could not exist in any other decade, just a weird-ass little movie that I just happened to love. And it was successful enough to spawn a third movie, which is universally hated. But this is the last bad news, good Bad News Bears movie. And anything else you have to say, Dan? I know you collect memorabilia about this movie. You know, you probably know more about it than I do That from that end. No, I uh, after talking to you with this, I we're on the even even playing field. But I've collect, collected a few things. I have, like I said, that Playboy magazine. Um, I have the one one sheet movie poster. Um, I have the lobby card set. I think it was eight lobby cards, eight or ten for that. Um, when I said earlier, the life is looking good. It was only released in Japan on a forty five, and it's just the music with a different weird voice. So. Otherwise, um, I know I'd gotten it came out a couple of years ago. It was like limited to a thousand. It was the soundtrack for all three movies. So I've got that. Um, some autograph cars here and there. But uh, God, I just love this movie. I, obviously, you do, too. I'm glad we had a chance to, to talk about this. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about that. Although I will end this on one note here. You yourself said when Carmen went into the Minimart, he had a choice of get Hustler or Playboy. Now, we all know we all know that Playboy is the artsy one with the good articles that could probably pass as a real magazine. Hustler is just straight porn. I mean, a friend told me this, yeah. It's just filth. It was just straight, yeah, it, <laughs> a friend. Yeah, it's just, it's bad news. Even in the 70s, it was, it was pretty gnarly stuff. So, he, Carmen blew it. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make. Carmen blew it. He grabbed the, route, the wrong smut. How is it, Dan, that you own a copy of the Playboy but not the Hustler? Did you, in fact, also make the same mistake in your in your uh, <laughs> collectibles? No, with 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 when you go on eBay and stuff, I don't choose to go into like the the depths of the. I think you can go really deep and find dirty stuff on eBay, which I don't <laughs> do. So the Playboy was just available on the regular <laughs> Luxie Lou. So I should have that Hustler too. I honestly, I should go back and have everything on that newsstand and just recreate the whole newsstand. And and I need to go back. I got to go back and get that Star Wars, the Star Trek coloring book too. <laughs> you did not go into the eBay dark web where they have hustlers. No, I have not. I don't do. I don't go that far, man. Okay. Again, I just want to thank you, Dan, for stopping by. Again, thank this, you. Yeah, this is a movie both of us love. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail dot com or on Twitter at Mario J Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Remember, life is always looking good. Talk to you guys later. Bye.